Ready, Dave? Hey, Jordan. Hey, Dave. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Don't Let's Start, a podcast about They Might Be Giants. This is a podcast where we discuss... They Might Be Giants. Giants in the world, in ourselves, and in you. And we're going to be talking about Apollo 18. (laughs) Dave is all business today. Yeah, I'm not taking your shit. (laughs) We're going to get right into the songs, but before that, we have startling new information about Apollo 18 that we were questioning in the previous episode, which was part one. The cover art for Apollo 18, I went on a little little thing in the first episode about uh, wh- who who painted this. There's no credit. Now, of course... We found out it was Pablo Picasso. Yeah. Ralph Conant is credited as album design, yeah. and that is John Flansburg's uh, Nom de Plume. Is that what it, it's called? Do you called? know why it's Ralph Content? <laughs> Ralph Conant. Conant. <laughs> get, wow, get it more wrong. What is it? <laughs> Ralph Ralph Conant. Uh, apparently his middle name is Conant. Ralph might be, I don't know, the Muppets, wow. uh, his favorite Muppet. I don't know. I was like, is this an anagram? But it's not. <laughs> yeah, it's a palindrome. Yeah, we I ne- neglected to say that in the previous episode. But yeah, Flansburg did, It's he's credited himself as design, but that's, I was like, there's no way he painted that mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> cover because yeah. he's, He's good, but he's not that good. You know what I'm saying? You know what this accent is? I have no idea. No. Um, So actually two people contacted me in the same day uh, discovering the origin of the album art, which is kind of crazy. But I'll I'll go with the one who did it first, which is uh, Kyle. Kyle DeLamartyr. We don't know how to pronounce your what name. What are you, some kind of martyr? Kyle. Kyle Della Martyr. I'm going to go with that. Uh, Delarmeter. Maybe it's French. French. <laughs> Della Martyr. We don't know how to pronounce normal words that are one syllable. <laughs> <laughs> Kyle emailed us a scan that he did of an original, the original source of the Apollo 18 cover art, and I will t- tell you about it now. We're obviously going to post this to our Twitter at Don't Let's Pod. It's from a magazine called Fate Magazine, August 1958 issue called Unexplained Mysteries of the Ocean Deeps. Well, that's an article in it by Mm -hmm. Rachel Carson. And the cover is an underwater scene of the squid and the whale from the Apollo 18 art. And something Kyle points out, which is very interesting, is that behind the squid and the whale are like is like a little uh, submarine uh, ship. What would you call that? Like a little capsule? Like an explorer pod. Yes, that's right. You see those in those old movies where there's like a sea monster and stuff. Yeah. And it's Flansburg for the- It's like what James Cameron drives in the ocean. (laughs) That's how he drives to work. Yeah. You see on the cover art that Flansburg designed is that he put the space capsule in almost the exact same spot mm. as, the, as the underwater capsule, which to me shows that he's really referencing this cover yeah. in more ways than just taking the art from it, yeah. stealing the... <laughs> <laughs> the art from it. So in this issue, there's, you know, it's a, it's basically a, an excerpt from a, a book that someone did about the mysteries of the ocean. Also, the byline is why I believe in faith cures. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I believe the answer is because you're stupid. Yeah. Although, what do I know? Maybe a good attitude is better for when you're sick. Yeah. Don't go to the doctor. <laughs> I think we've all... <laughs> They're all quacks. Actually, I asked Kyle if he, if there's a painter credited, an artist, yeah. an illustrator, and there isn't. There's art director credited, but I don't think... A lot of the times back then, it was just r- random people that never got credited <laughs> that were like all amazing artists. 
and his, yeah. those pulp novels and all that. Yeah, I thought it'd be really nice to finally give credit to this person. There is a chance I was thinking of contacting the magazine and being like, do you have any idea who, who did I, this? I think that's a bit much. <laughs> but yeah, but so thank you, Kyle. And also to the uh, second person on Twitter. Thanks, Kyle. Someone tweeted at us the same exact thing, but uh, I Too said, late. And yeah, so that's the source of the Apollo 18 art. I can't believe it. It's kind of this mystery for, for decades that, that I've been wondering about. Mystery solved. All thanks to Kyle. Dave just always says people's names as if he's mad at them, so don't worry. <laughs> let's move right on to- I'm not mad. <laughs> let's, let's go right on to the album, yeah. Apollo 18. Let's do it. I want to emphasize again, this is one of my favorite albums. Mine too. Third favorite. And we're going to move on to one of my all-time favorite songs ever. Mine, mine too. It's called My, my Evil, Evil Twin. twin. <laughs> we're twins, get it? Evil Twin. What a great song. Should have been a single. That's that's I what agree. I'm starting this with. Should have been a single. Might be my favorite song on the album. For a while, it was one of my favorites. For a while, this was one of those... Um, it's funny. I have a really specific memory of with this song, and this is very laughable to me now. But to me, the, the opening of this song felt really, really alt-rock to me, mm-hmm. like kind of college alt rock, almost grungy, though a little obviously like not. <laughs> but like, so there's this song, this this came out after Apollo 18. Mm-hmm. But you know, this song called, it's like, I got a girl. <laughs> oh yeah, I know that song. I always thought, so My Evil Twin reminded me of that. And I'll play a clip of it because I, I have my memories associated with My Evil Twin for some reason are just like, I always think of this other song. And I guess that's appropriate because it's about two, two things. <laughs> I guess I'll allow it then. Yeah. Seems like a stretch, but go ahead. I got a girl who lives with me. Yeah. So I I don't know. For some reason, I'm always like, wow, they might be giants are getting really like alt rocky <laughs> in the '90s. And obviously, this this kind of comes into play with John Henry later. But I'm listening to it in current times and with more perspective. I'm like, oh, it's not really like that at all. It's more no. like a weird synth <laughs> and it's kind of, it's not as uh, cool sounding as I thought or whatever. Well, I thought it was supposed to be kind of fancy sounding, like a harpsichord. Yeah, so it's, it's a harpsichord or, or a clavinet. I can't mm-hmm. tell. They, they, they're kind of a similar um, spiky sound. Mm-hmm. Right away with Apollo 18... My Evil Twin jumped out at me as like a super catchy, and it's it's placed where you put all the singles usually mm. on a They Might Be Giants album. Number like a, four. Yeah. So I'm surprised it never was one. I feel like it could have done pretty well. And, and not only was it not a single, like they, they only played it live like three times in like the entire, their entire career. Those rats. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> that, was, that was a bit much. Sorry. So yeah, Dave, what, what, do you, what do you like about My Evil Twin? And what do you hate about it? Uh, I hate that you like it. No. Yeah. Uh, it has, it's so uh, well constructed. Well, the interesting origin of the song, I can play a clip of them discussing this, but Linnell wrote all the music. Right. And Flansburg wrote the words. I was about to say, this, this is a collaboration between John Linnell and John Flansburg teaming up to form a songwriting team. It's unusual, it's controversial, but. Well, let's see what we discovered, John. This is what happened. 
Well, actually, now that you bring it up, the music does seem more Linnell esque. Yeah, it's interesting. And it makes to think sense. Mm-hmm. It's very good. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. I don't know why it wasn't pushed more as a single. Mm-hmm. Um, I I like the lyrics a lot too. I like this idea of not being blamed for all the <laughs> shitty things that you do yourself. That's interesting. I have a lot of thoughts about yeah. the the theme of the song, and yeah. and what's funny is the idea that. Linnell wrote it and Flansburg finished it really goes along with my ideas about the evil twin idea and the having a twin idea. Yeah. Um, just to be more complete about what Linnell, I have this quote from Linnell he, from this uh, songwriting book in their own words. John Linnell said, I wrote a bunch of music. It was all MIDI and I put it in a computer disc and gave it to John and he wrote the melody and lyrics mm-hmm. over the top of it. You know, I think this is a really cool way to work and it'd be cool if they mm-hmm. did that. More. They do it a few more times. Yeah. You know, like a band like the Smiths, it's like every song was done by Johnny Marr wrote mm-hmm. like three minutes of music and then Morrissey would sing and make yeah. up everything on top of it. And it's a really interesting way to write songs because it really is like two brains in one and it really fits the, the idea of my evil twin. Sure. And to, to keep going in, in that and on that thread, uh, I wanted to talk about, I wanted to play some clips of them talking about collaborating and they, they use a specific term mm-hmm. about this, which I think hints towards the song a bit. You guys always share credit so- on the songs. Right. Yes. And yet I get sort of a sense uh, after 20 years of listening to your music that there's kind of a John Linnell song and there's kind of a John Flansburg song. Yeah. I think we but had one all, of uh, each there, is that right? Uh, That's yeah. correct, yeah. 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 Um, it's all They Might Be Giants money, though. That's <laughs> <laughs> the way we think. Keeping it real. <laughs> Delicious. No, um, it was it was a little bit of a calculated thing, in, in part to kind of keep the spirit of the band unified. You know, it's like mm-hmm. people tend to pick things apart, and also, especially if you're in a duo, you know. I mean, I, I remember back, you know, in the 80s when uh, Wham! started, and, there, you know, there was like George Michael, who basically sang... And there was the the Andrew Ridgely guy who played the guitar, and uh, I remember people going like, "What does that guy do?" <laughs> and I was yeah. like, "Wait, he's the maybe he's the musician, you know? Maybe, maybe he's writing the songs, you know? <laughs> Give Andrew a chance." <laughs> but uh, you know, it's just they it's might just have kinda, been writing his yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, we also like uh, you know we actually collaborate on some ver- some of the you know the the most. Uh, Unusual stuff we've done has, has been really yeah. 50 50 collaboration. And, and as really? said, there's, there's kind so. of an essential collaboration going on, which is that we are writing for this project that is the cons- consists of the sensibility of the two of us, you know, and that it exists because there's two of us mm. who do this yeah. mm. thing. I imagine there must be some element uh, where each of you works on the germ of a song and brings it to the other and with the thought, oh, he's really going to get a kick out of this one. Or, yeah, I think that we still, you know, we st- or, or he, you know, he won't tear this one. He won't savage this one. Uh, I see. <laughs> this one's bulletproof. Well, yeah, it, it, yeah. It definitely, you know, it's interesting because it's sort of, it's sort of like having, uh, you know, uh, you automatically have to uh, um, kind of work at a different level than you might work if you were just, you know, writing songs. You know, if you were the primary songwriter in a band, you know, mm-hmm. it's definitely kind of a more of a everything goes through a little bit of a wind tunnel uh, testing period. Um, I don't know. I mean, uh, it, it's it's been good. It's been good for us. I think you know we actually. We've known each other. We knew each other when we were kids, and and it's you know still seems to you know work now. So uh, most we things like that are usually never really grew up. So. Yeah, most, most things like that usually are like brothers, I think. Mm. And then mm. there's all sorts of things, all sorts of you know mom liked you best kind of stuff going <laughs> on. 
they've said this in a few interviews that their collaboration is a lot like being brothers. And you and John L. have been inseparable, it seems, for well over three decades. What do, what do you think exactly is the key to such a long-lasting friendship? Oh, you know, well, I mean, we do give each other a lot of a lot of space. I mean, a lot of uh, personal space and even a lot of, like, sort of professional space. I think, you know, it's funny is that, like, you don't, when you're, when you're kids, like, respecting one another doesn't seem like a very important part of a friendship. We had a lot of shared experiences as kids that would be, like, the kind of experiences that people would have as, like, brothers would have. Like, we went to, a, we saw a lot of shows together as teenagers, and it was very formative. And we saw a lot of movies and experienced a lot of cultural things right in that sort of mid-'70s moment. And it was very formative. And I think, like, our takes on things, it's hard to say how much, like, we influenced one another and how much sort of, like, just having the shared experience, you know, helped us sort of form a unified thing. But I think that's one of the reasons why it's been so easy is because we're not... You know, when you look at a lot of bands, they're kind of people sort of smashed together from very disparate backgrounds. And if something happens for them, then it kind of binds them together, but doesn't necessarily... Doesn't, they don't might not have that solid a foundation. So there's a lot of interviews like that one where they talk about that their collaboration is, is as if they're brothers... And uh, here's another clip where they right. go into that a bit. I think we, we do have a surprising amount of agreement about stuff that's very hard to put into words. And that's really the basis of our working relationship is that we, we, we kind of both know what, we, what the other thinks and we generally agree about stuff. And we don't have to explain stuff, which is great when you're doing work that I think is partly valuable for its unexplainableness you know i mean i think that's the best i think some of it is very explicable but some of what we do some of the stuff that's nicest about what we do is hard very hard to explain you know easy to understand but hard to explain Mm -hmm. so yeah they both know what the other thinks there's kind of this mind meld between them i think on a subconscious level my evil twin it might be about them right interesting and i don't mean and i say subconscious because it's not like i think Flansburg sitting around with the lyrics being like, I'm thinking about mm-hmm. me and John Linnell. I think it's something that like might be in like the back of his mind. Wouldn't that mean that um, he doesn't have a very high opinion of Linnell then? <laughs> yeah, well, I think I do think they probably te- tease each other a <laughs> yeah. lot. And I think it's, I think it is, I think they sometimes do see themselves in a kind of like an, an not with each other, but antagonistic against the world, against mm. the music scene and popular music and rock and stupid rock. And, you know, we've talked about that too. So to me, I, I always get this sense of the song of just like, oh, like Flansburg's singing about <laughs> Linnell hmm. in kind of a cute way in a, in a way. And like, oh, Linnell sent me this, these, this music. So the idea I have for that is to do a song about my, my, tw- my evil twin. It's possible. Though obviously there's other layers to the lyrics, which is like, is there even a twin? Probably not or <laughs> whatever. Yeah, I totally just took it as uh, personifying all your... Uh, destructive behavior yeah and personifying it in a thing that you don't have to be blamed for (laughs) yeah i think this song covers a lot of things at once the only other thing i want to add to that it's about themselves is check out this concert intro from 1988 and i will i'll rest my case here we go from brooklyn new york let's have a warm welcome the evil twins of rock they might be giants 
So they would they would give copy to right. people. That's a radio DJ uh, introducing them for a concert. They also say they're the twin quasars of rock. Twin quasars, yeah. evil twins. This is my. This is why I have that theory. I think yeah. Flansburg, in a way, does kind of see him and John. I think they see each other as brothers, almost deeper than brothers in a right. way. Because even with your own family, you don't go through the kind of stuff they've gone through. No, no. Like I have a, I have a family. I have a sister, but like. There are pe- definitely people in my life that I've shared more intense experiences with than course, my family. Like you when know? we killed that guy. Yeah, Dave. I know. That one guy was mouthing off. So, so Dave, I'm very intrigued by your interpretation of the song, which I think I share uh, agreement with. But it didn't sound like you did. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I'm saying the song is multi-layered. I yeah. think I think the the germ of it. But yes, tell me. I mean, we can go through the lyrics. We can talk more about the music. There's those two things. Well, I think it's more in the later uh, verses, probably. I don't think it starts out being... I think that's the twist of the song. Is oh, yeah, yeah. By the end, you kind of realize maybe he's talking about himself. Mm-hmm. We can go right away with the lyrics, because yeah. I've got a few notes here. Sure. Uh, right away, he says, bad weather friend. Yeah. And I actually never looked into what that means. Yeah. <laughs> I just I just sort of took it as a given. Is that like a fair weather yeah, friend? Yeah, so if it's a pun or a word or an inversion of fair right. weather friend. And what fair weather friend is, is... I'm reading this now. It's someone who is a friend only when things are going right and leaves you when you face trouble. Boy, I've had some of those, Jordan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Jordan? No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Well, that's the true test of friendship, right? That's the test of any relationship through good times and bad, happy and sad. See, I think it's funny because it's bad either way because if you only have a friend who's like you only turn to when things are going wrong, that's bad too. Right. You want both. You want both. Well, not necessarily turn to them, but know that they can support you in those hard times. If a fair weather friend is someone who's only there when things are going right, then a bad weather friend mm-hmm. is only there when things are going wrong, which makes sense for this. Right, there's kind imag- of a diabolical nature to it. Yeah, this evil twin character is like only pops up when things are, I like guess, he's, evil. He's feeding off of it. <laughs> yes. Like a demon. A bad demon. <laughs> a bad, okay, thank you for clarifying, Jesus. Yeah. Not those good ones. Then Flansburg does something really interesting, which I've always loved. I mean, it's another one of those clever things that used to tickle my <laughs> tickle my berries tickle. when I was a kid. He always tickle them berries. He always wants to start when I want to begin, and I'm like, wait, those are the same thing. Yeah, unless I'm mistaken. <laughs> so the idea is that it's like my evil twin is is not like me. He's evil, and the, but then his examples of what separates them ends up being the same right. exact thing he's doing. It's like, hey, Jack. Look in the mirror. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> Guys, I don't mean to make this the most insightful podcast around, but, you know, if you can't handle it, yeah. turn it off. How does that tickle your berries? The next line is one of the most intriguing. That's always This one's always kind of captured my imagination. Mm-hmm. It scares me so like I scare myself with that book of Nostradamus. Mm-hmm. Nostradamus? Up upon my shelf. Yeah. So, first of all... Why does that intrigue you? It's funny, I never... I never thought that I got this line until uh, 9-11 happened. <laughs> oh, boy. So th- let me just take everyone back to this magical time. 9-11 happened, and, and there was this wave of people citing that yeah. Nostradamus predicted it. Stupid people. And online, they would they would post these, like, look at this quatrain. I thought the Simpsons uh, predicted it. <laughs> yeah, Simpsons predicted it. Yeah. They would be like, look at this, look at this, you know, thing from Nostradamus that mm-hmm. talks about the two towers falling. And, yeah. and a lot of these were fake. I think some of them were kind of real mm-hmm. and some of them were fake. 
But I remember, you know, for all just in 9-11, we were all feeling, especially me and Dave in New York City, uh, a few miles away. Mm-hmm. We were, uh, we, I swear we didn't do it, but we were, <laughs> um, we were busy killing that guy. I remember being particularly sad, j- um, sad and jittery <laughs> and yeah, anxious for a, a month at least. And then only, I was fine. Only a month, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I remember when these Nostradamus things happens, I felt genuinely, you know, I'm pretty skeptical by nature, mm-hmm. but I have my moments of being spooked by stuff. Uh, you know, like I used to believe like hardcore believe in ghosts, you know, especially hardcore ghosts. Um, <laughs> but, um, I remember when this Nostradamus things got posted, yeah. I actually felt genuine. I remember very distinctly being like, Is, are things more, you know, crazy than we realize? And, mm-hmm. you know, I guess my, my point is that uh, in terms of this lyric, I was like, I kind of get why he's saying a book of Nostradamus, uh, things, quat- mm-hmm. quatrains, is that how you pronounce it? I've never heard that word before in my That's life. That's what they call because they're four-line uh, oh. predictions. I get why he's spooked by that. Mm-hmm. And, but I don't know if that's what he was thinking with this lyric. The only other thing I want to say is that I've searched through <laughs> Nostradamus's writings mm-hmm. and I found one about a twin. Okay. I thought you were going to say I found the key. <laughs> I found the key to my evil twin. So, Dave, I'm going to read you. I might, yeah. put, I might put reverb on my voice for this because to get the full Nostradamus effect because that's what he had back then. He had reverb on it. Yeah. I think he was in a cave. <laughs> well, his podcast was like super popular. Yeah, that's true. Um, his ad reads were amazing. Yeah. Nostradamus, this is this is his one that I found about a twin in front of a... Maybe I should lower it a pitch too. Maybe you should read it, Dave. I can read it. You, you want me read to it? read it like him? I think Dave has more of a Nostradamus voice than me. My voice is too nerdy. <laughs> um, though I guess he was kind of a nerd in a way. That, so. that guy writing... <laughs> you know, those writers? People with the ability to write were nerds. Oh, yeah. yeah I see what you're saying. Okay, no, I'll say 20 more times. His 95 part of it? This is, I think this is his 95th one that he wrote. In front of a monastery will be found a twin infant. I'm going to do cave wins. I just imagine Nostradamus in a cave. I don't know why. Like Merlin. (laughs) (laughs) He lived at the Four Seasons. From the illustri- I can't read. <laughs> start, let's start. From the illustrious and ancient line of a monk. Wait, start, start it from the beginning. I was doing so well. In front of a monastery will be found a twin infant from the illustrious and ancient line of a monk. His fame, renown, and power through sex and speech is such... S-E-S-C-T-S. Yeah, I said that wrong. Is such that they will say the living twin is deservedly chosen. Whoa. So what do you think of that? Do you think my evil twin is referencing this Nostradamus I don't know. I was concentrating too much on reading it correctly. Do you think my evil twin in the song comes from an ancient line of a monk? Dave, is that the key to the song? I hate to say no, but uh, I don't. <laughs> I don't think you do hate to say no. I think Dave. I think Dave's. That's a great word. The most no. pleasure he gets is telling me no for my theory. I just always took it as some guy who thought he was deep. You know, yes. that's like someone that, that thinks there there's more to them than there really is. Would have Nostradamus on their shelf. You know, mm-hmm. like oh my god, this guy predicted stuff. That's funny. Let's dip into the music a bit. Um, I want to talk about Flans's vocal performance. Yeah. Um, which I found very interesting. This is something we've discussed a lot. It's like when they're when they're doing a character voice, when they're not, when they're kind of halfway doing one. To me, this sounds like a full-on character. To me, uh, the way I described it in my notes is it has a weary quality. I see that. You know, my vault. <laughs> yeah. I don't think it sounds too disparate from his usual voice, though. Yeah, I, I can see. I can see what you mean. It's it's 
it's pretty much how he sings, but there's a- A little meeker. Yeah, there's a less energy. It's more, it's like he's like in the middle, it's like yeah. he's about to yawn, <laughs> you know? And I think that's on purpose because I think, I think this song has kind of a thread going through it of like, he's up all night, right? Mm-hmm. And he, he, cause he says sleep all through the day. Yeah. I think it's like this, this twin part of him takes over when he should be sleeping. So he yeah. ne- it's like a werewolf or something. Like he never sleeps, he never rests. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like the song Sleep, not really though. Yeah, yeah, it actually, no, no, really. Don't pu- put yourself down. No, so yeah, it is It is kind of like the song Sleep, which is right. a great, they a might, later, latter era, weird, they might be giant song, one of yeah, my favorites. It's a good one. So yeah, I, I, think the, I think the yawning quality of his voice is very appropriate for the lyrics. I wanted to also talk about the, the guitar sound in this. Mm-hmm. Did you have uh, any thoughts on well, that? I love all the descending lines in it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And the the tone of it though is so it's almost not music. <laughs> like it's so fuzzed out. Mm-hmm. It's like brr, 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 a little know. buzzsaw-ish. Buzzsaw, yeah. It's it's very interesting sound. I always really liked it, but it I I, I it's a little risky. It's a little <laughs> for like what could be a pop hit. It's very yeah. it's kind of scary sounding, you know, about a year before things get really grunged out, mm-hmm. right? In, yeah, in yeah. America. America. In America. <laughs> it scares me so. Like I scare myself With that book of Nostradamus Up upon my shelf Playing hangman to the morning light Doing donuts on the neighbors Want to sleep all through the day Okay, we're, we've only done the first verse so far, but let's, let's keep going with the lyrics because... There's a lot of really fun things in this song. We have another hanging reference. Yeah, playing hangman till the morning light, which I think is a nice, that's kind of a cute lyric because it is something you would do with like a friend. I think it's very intentional that it's playing hangman though. Really? Like I never thought of that. Parcheesi or something, you know? That's true. Yeah. You think it's just it's a, ominous. It's just kind of a sign that they have evil, intent, he has evil yeah. intent. Ah, oh, that's interesting. You know, I never even thought of that. To me, I'm just like, oh, I like hangman. That's a fun, <laughs> that's a fun game. So weird that that became a game. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. Well, I think people, I think back then kids were more used to like really <laughs> morbid, dark yeah. games and stuff. Right. Like nursery rhymes were all about like the plague and everything. <laughs> so doing donuts on the neighbor's lawn. Sounds delicious. Before I, I drove or knew anything about cars or uh, what I thought this line meant, Dave. Oh boy. Was fucking t- donuts <laughs> on the a neighbor's lawn. My word. I thought it meant putting, Dave, your penis. Okay. I'm with you so far. In the far. hole of a donut and taking it out and putting you it in really again. I really think that's what I it meant. I thought that's what <laughs> I was in junior high. All right. I, I, guess, pretty, I guess that's the age, right? I was pretty bursting with uh, horniness. <laughs> Flavor. And it's funny because my friends back then were even more horny than I was because they were constantly talking about porn stars and Pamela and Jenny McCarthy was the constant topic among my mm. people I knew in junior high. Well, we're that's all, very undignified. We're all 14 and stuff. And, and I thought they were ridiculous, but I was still bursting myself. And I, anyway. I think bursting. <laughs> bothering me um so you you thought this was about fornicating with i thought they were just being disgusting perverts on their neighbor's line the fact that it's on your neighbor's lawn because <laughs> even doing that in your the, the privacy of your own home i'm like well not great yeah not great but i'm like i guess i can't judge what someone does it's a victimless uh, crime <laughs> but doing it on someone's lawn as i was far like as we wow know. and i just i just always pictured flansburg just all right you know sometimes i peek into that brain of yours and 
I want to close the blinds. Um, but so then when I, yeah. the first time I heard doing, doing donuts in another context, when I saw it's cars skidding right. and making circles, I was like, uh, <laughs> well, I'm glad you got that sorted out. That is a mean thing to do to, oh, to your Oh, it's awful. Neighbor. You rip up the lawn and it goes all over the place. It's dirty. I know, but I always get the sense from Flansburg that he hates, there's a lot of songs where he seems like hate his neighbors yeah. or having problems with his neighbors. So I've, I kind of see this as like a revenge thing in some way. I think mm. there's a backstory that we're not privy to. Isn't it weird that everybody hates their neighbors, right? But everybody's <laughs> yeah. a neighbor to someone. Mm-hmm. So someone hates me, someone hates you. It's you a know? world of hate. Yeah, I mean, that's how I see it anyway. All right. It's next. like that Phil Collins, <laughs> we live in a world of hate. I, th- I think obviously this must be your, the line that really cued you, which is uh, my friends have seen him hiding underneath my skin, right? There you go. Yeah, to, to me, that's like almost almost too direct. Yeah. I almost wish he... he uh, made it more ambiguous there. Look at the line right before. My evil twin runs home again. Mm. Searchlights look for an alibi, but I'll be home by then. Yeah, that's a weird line. So that's one of those I never thought about the, much. The possession, you know? Oh, yes, yes. The In terms of grammar, you're saying. Right. Yeah, so it's like he's coming, he's running from the cops, yeah. and so I'll be home. Yeah, yeah so he's it's, saying it's, it's really, himself. Yeah, it's really interesting. And the siren's coming. He yeah, this song. He, he doesn't know why. I don't know. I didn't do anything. You yeah. know, you did it. Yeah, this song has a great. Uh, see, this, this good to story. Me, to me, this is a great balance of humor and uh, funny Scariness. psychological <laughs> issues and darkness, and also like real, real things that we can all think, you know, laugh about, laugh about together. We're gonna call them laughs. Who cut the arm off the voodoo doll that resembles a Republican president? So who do you think's the president? <laughs> yeah. I think I feel like it's all, he's all but confirmed that it's Nixon, but it really could be. Yeah. I mean, we only assume, assume that because he's got like he's obsessed oh, with Nixon. Yeah, which but we're going to he hear hates, about later, right? Another time. Yeah, but he also hates Reagan too. <laughs> That's true. He does. So yeah. So maybe it's just a stand-in, just for. Republicans. So what? What it's funny to me is why is that an evil thing then to to cut off the arm of a, a president that you think is evil? That'd be almost a good thing, right? If you're Republican, or I, mean, I guess if you're Democrat. unless it's just evil to do harm in any right. violence in any sense, hmm. which is very nice of him to say, Flansburg. <laughs> I guess I never thought about it. Another thing in the lyrics to my evil twin that I always thought was clever is that he like avoids rhyming with himself because mm-hmm. he goes. A president from long ago, I'd hate to see you leave. Because it sounds like he's going to say, I'd hate to see you go. You know what I mean? It's like an intentional not rhyme. He would just be rhyming go with go, though. He would be. But it's like you think he's going to say that. Yeah. But he says leave. And I I don't know. There's something about that that feels right for the song. It's like his evil, the evil side of himself, like, isn't going to let him do like a good rhyme rhyme or something. Yeah. I've grown so grateful for the blame you saved me from. Mm -hmm. It's, yeah, I mean... I guess if, if you think about now it in, whose theory is right. in a more universal sense, it's just like there is a tendency to like if you do something bad, you can be like, I remember a friend of mine used to say, my my old my friend Sam from college. Mm-hmm. I know used, him. He used to be like, um, this, you know how things just like stick in your mind for years. Yeah. I remember him saying like, you know what I hate when people say like, oh, I'm an asshole as like an excuse to be an asshole. Like, oh, oh that's yeah, just me. Sure. Like they're just being like, oh, that's just me, the asshole. 
So then it's like, <laughs> he's, he, I remember him being like, I hate when people do that. It's like not fair. Well, I yeah, feel like that's it, what this song is. <laughs> if you have enough cognizance to know you're the asshole, then you should, you should stop. You should know how to, yeah, like try to do better. Some people don't know they're the asshole, you know? I don't always know. You definitely don't know that. Uh oh. <laughs> so then I want to talk We're about. We're just trying to do our best here in life, guys. <laughs> I want to talk try about to get along. the bridge, which I think is as perfect uh, an audio metaphor for what the song is and for my theories on the song, which is that John Linnell then comes in yeah. singing My Twin over and over. And it's like, then you've got Flansburg and Linnell singing together and harmonizing, yeah. which you do have earlier in the song, a great Linnell harmony. It would have also illustrated it if Flansburg did his own harmony. Mm -hmm. It would have been like, this is because right. this is about me being two people. But having Linnell do it seems almost like an interesting deflection of that. Because it's like, no, it's like two people in the same song and it's me and John. And I also love Linnell's part there too, which is, I always wonder like if he wrote that part or if, because mm -hmm. he wrote the music, but, did, but since Flansburg wrote the vocals and the vocal melody, did he like tell Linnell to do that? You know, Like we said last episode, I think he's really good at counter melody and backup harmony. Yeah, yeah. With his own song. So, yeah, he probably has a natural proficiency for it. And I, <laughs> I love what the guitar is doing in this part. The wah, 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 yeah, wah, the, wah. I guess it's a wah. It's a wah. It's a who. And But it's also, there's two of them, yeah. right? In the two, in the stereo, which to me, uh, you know. Twins. Yeah, it gives it gives the idea that there's like two two things that are the same. They're slightly off. They're slightly off from each other, slightly delayed or whatever. And then it has my favorite line in the song, which you probably know what it is, which is, I know he looks like me, hates work like me, <laughs> which is like hilarious Flansburg uh, anti-work stance. Boy, if there was ever anyone that hated work, it would be you, Jordan. <laughs> yeah, it's really true. I know. Never worked an honest day's living in your life. I know. See, people... I mean, the podcast is a lot of work. I'm good at work. I can work hard if it's like a thing that no one's forcing me to do. Well, then it's not work then, is it? It's not. It's like a hobby. They say if you do what you love, you never work a day in your life. But seeing, I, I've always really loved this line because I'm just like, it's funny because I see people in their jobs all the time and they're somehow tolerating it. And I've always been really, um, you know, I get massively depressed at, when I've had day jobs. And I'm just like, how is everyone doing this? And when I hear a line Drinking. like this. Yeah. When I hear a line like this, I'm just like, oh, so I'm not the only one who like really hates doing this sort of thing. Like other people, I think especially creative types, because you're really, you're sure. you're just not really putting your, that special part of your brain to use, you know. It's still work though to be creative too. It's a it's lot a of work. It's a different kind of work. This is, I'm feeling it right now. <laughs> I, I like the next line uh, even more than that line. He's even got a twin like me. Oh, the line's really funny. To me, that suggests that this pattern, I guess, this uh, mm -hmm. phenomenon goes on and on forever because then yeah. the twin would have an evil twin too. And it's just like, yeah, just, it's, constant, it's like a ping pong ball going back and forth, yeah. never, never stopping anywhere. They're both themselves and they're both the twin. Oh, I was thinking the twin has a new person that's a twin. Oh, too. so now it's the triplets. <laughs> and then that person has a twin and yeah. it just kind of goes all around the like world. Like a mirror, like someone, like two mirrors facing each other. Yeah. Also, the bass is kind of uh, going back to their older, more punchy sounding bass. 
not as natural sounding as other songs on Apollo 18. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It has this has a really classic feel. I, I wish that they did more songs in this style where one of them writes the music, one of them writes the lyric. It seems it does seem strange to me that they don't. I bet I would bet you anything. There's a bunch of rejects where they tried it and they were like, mm. it's not working. Maybe maybe the reason they don't do it that much is because it's hard. Yeah, maybe it's, hard. it's it's weird to kind of take someone else's thing and put yourself on top of it, you know? It is weird to do that. You ever take someone else's thing and put yourself on top of it? Well, yeah. It's tough. All right. The only thing left for this song is we have a special treat. We are continuing... Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> we are continuing uh, excerpts Whoops. from our interview with Ed Douglas. Edward Douglas. Edward Douglas the fourth, Who was second engineer on Apollo 18, which basically means he was there for all of the sessions, assisting mm -hmm. with the technical side of things, helping with MIDI. He was kind enough to sit down with us and talk. He talked about give us some... every, all 300 songs on Apollo yeah. 18 with us. Let's hear what he has to say uh, about how they made this song. This was one of the second batch of songs. I think the, the, this and I Pound Dramai is part of the second batch of songs. So maybe they were thinking, you know, about what would be the singles. I mean, again, there was there was the sequence again, mm. you know, all the bass and drums. I, I'm pretty sure the harps, record, and clavinet were also sequenced. I mean, my my time in studios, I've never actually uh, rented a harpsichord, so I'm not sure mm -hmm. how, how they would have uh, just, you know, there was, there's no, that was all kind of sequenced. And it's funny, interesting, because I think, you know, if you realize that a lot of the bass and drums on this record were sequenced, the, the people who mixed it just did, did a great job yeah. trying to make them sound more live with like whip, reverb and stuff like that. But um, I think you also could kind of tell the, the quality of the bass and drums get better mm -hmm. as our sessions went along because I think the first, the, for the first batch of sessions, which were like, you know, again, three or four songs, you know, you know, the, you know Paul was just learning the studio and the, you know, and the, how to record to the, the digital tape machine, which was very new. And uh, I think as we went along, I think he, he learned how to get better drum and bass sounds from the seat samples onto tape so that they had, but it was also the mixing. I mean, the mixers did just an amazing job kind of, uh, you know, making making stuff sound real, like the harpsichord, um, the clavinet type, the keyboard stuff on there. One thing I just love is that that drum fill uh, into the third verse where it goes... Yeah, yeah. I love that. And I think every time we heard that, me and Paul would be like, do the the hand... Yeah. Because it was just such a great, like, fill... It's interesting because, like, again, the sequencing as well, they were trying to make drums that sounded real. Yeah. And there's some parts where you could really succeeded like that. Mm -hmm. And there's some parts where it was just like, what, what, what? No drummer would play a fill that yeah. lame, like that kind of stuff. Like, <laughs> I, mean, I, I can't remember. I have, to, I have to look and see if there's a, a specific uh, case. But uh, mm -hmm. I mean, it was a fun song to record. I mean, that, that was that bridge section, which is very bridge strange. Is great. The electric guitar tone in, in that song is, is really interesting, too. Same with I Palindrome and Jarmai. Like, they, there is a certain. Do you remember anything about like the amp setup or any different, you know, thing like that with getting the right sound? Because there's some straight, in my opinion, like a little weird kind of guitar sounds, like very kind of staticky, like buzzsaw guitars. Yeah, yeah. buzzsaw guitars. Yeah, I don't, I don't know about that. I mean, I mean, he had, you know, his amp. You know, we had a lot of amps at the Magic Shop as well. Mm -hmm. I don't think we, I don't think there was that really that much experimenting. You, you'd, you'd think there'd be more, but I mean, like, like I mentioned before, I mean, I mean, Flans would sometimes just have his guitar plugged in, sit down, and be ready to play. Wow. Right. <laughs> Thank you, Ed. We're going to be cutting to him throughout the episode talking about some of these songs. 
And now let's go to track five, I believe. That's correct, sir. This is a this is a cute little number. It's a cutesy song called Mammal. Mammal. Glass of milk standing in between extinction in the cold and explosive radiating growth. So the warm blood flows through the large four-chambered heart, maintaining the very high metabolism rate they have. Mammal, mammal. This song rocks. Um, <laughs> mammal. Um, I basically, I sort of have just one thread really about this song that I'm, that I find funny. It's about mammals. Um, more about the context of this song throughout in their career and, and things like that. But, but before I, I get into that, Dave, what's, especially, what's <laughs> especially as when you were like a new listener to They Might Be Giants and you're, you told me like Dig My Grave was really hooked, yeah. hooked you and, <laughs> well, and then, very different you know, I Pound Your Mind is great and She Has Your Size. I think, I think even as a new fan, you'd be like, oh, this is like kind of cool, like jazzy mm-hmm. and kind of. You know how much I love jazz. Well, I mean, like you like, I think you like older movies and mm-hmm. things like that and sure. film noir and so, yes. and then My Evil Twin is like a great single and yeah. then Mammal and then what, what's your, do you remember what your response was or do you, or you can talk about your current thoughts on Mammal? I'm not sure I remembered initially what I thought. I mean, I'm, I, look, I'm sure I thought it was a more cute song, as we said. There's no denying it. Look, I love animals. Who doesn't love animals? It's fun to hear a song about animals. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> I don't know. There's not much else to say. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's um, go to uh, the statue. Got me. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, look, I liked it. I don't think it was as strong a favorite as others on the album. It's weird. It's a But song- it works in context. It, it really works in context because this is something I said in the last one, that there's there's a handful of songs about animals on yes. this album. It's starting right from the cover art, but yeah. you've got you've got cr- critters and creatures <laughs> crawling all over this uh, album throughout. You know, though, I think I did like this as more um, an example of that sort of factual song that we were talking about, <laughs> yeah. you know, where it's just like uh, data. <laughs> Perfect segue for, for my thread about this, which is that... Well, you're welcome. There... Um, this is a factual song, and I've, I've basically I've got like a slew of clips where Linnell. That's a word you don't hear much. <laughs> where, where Linnell kind of um, deals with that fact and what people think of the song and what yeah. people think of they might be giants and what people think of his songwriting style and what he's going for and his. Mm-hmm. I, I, I've got a, a, one of my favorite clips of Linnell being very annoyed. Uh, and <laughs> look, I'll say this before yeah. you get into that. Yeah, um, my wife like loves this song. Because it's adorable. <laughs> so I remember you telling me that a long time ago. Yeah, actually. I mean, I, I think it's, you know, it's a softer song that kind of like warms your heart <laughs> more it, than yeah. usual. <laughs> if you need that done. If you, Back to you, Jordan. <laughs> um, if you need that done. That's really funny. That should be like Hallmark Channel's <laughs> slogan. If you need it done, hey. we'll warm your heart. If you need it. If you need it. Our good? guys are available four days a week. <laughs> To warm your heart. Ready to warm your heart. Don't call anyone else. We're the experts. <laughs> Joe's heart warmers. Anyway, so this is the idea. I, I noticed, and so did um our friend Daniel. Uh, he he logged a lot of these interviews. We call him Dan the Man. <laughs> Daniel. Mammal. Daniel the Manual. Daniel, Daniel the Mammal. He logged a lot of these interviews Oof. too, and, and he knows... <laughs> 
he noticed this also, which is that a lot of these radio DJs who interview them, yeah. they really harp on the idea that like, you guys do educational songs. Stupid assholes. <laughs> <laughs> and what's funny is that, and I think Linnell thinks this too, based on some of these clips, is that like, for a, a band that has like, especially even by the 90s, they had probably like 200 songs or something. And it's like, oh, yeah. two of them are right. educational. Sure, sure. Like 0.5% of our songs are educational. And yet that's all people want to talk about because it's unusual, especially for like a rock <laughs> band or whatever well, it's they, like they how, are. <laughs> it's like how Bad Religion only has like two songs that are actually about religion. Yeah, you mentioned that. <laughs> yeah. But then I guess they should have picked a different name. No, and, and it's... A counterpoint could be, well, why are you writing songs like, like Mammal? All right. You, you write a lot of eccentric songs. So how did you decide on, on going in that direction all the time? Well, actually, I mean, we, you know, we, we you, know, in, uh, you know, in all honesty, I think we, we uh, write songs about things that interest us. And um, we don't really think about, um, you know, uh, being, um, we don't think about the general like, context of how, uh, you know, boring popular music is in general. <laughs> I mean, we don't, you know, we don't, we don't we're not uh, uh, working against that. We're just kind of doing our own thing. So we don't really think of it as being eccentric. I mean, we, we actually, some, actually some of it's uh, educational, huh? Like James K. Polk. Yep. Mm -hmm. And we've got another song on our record called, on our new record called Mammal that also is in that kind of educational theme. That centric kind mm -hmm. of thing. Linnell seems a little annoyed already yeah. in that clip that being called eccentric. He's using all the right words, that <laughs> interviewer. All right, now. So they might be giants. How would you sum them up? They're kind of a, a, All right, a this satirical is band. Would you well, say that? I would sum them up. You know what I think of? I think of uh, Spike Jones. Is that wrong? Well, it's it's uh, we're about fifty years too late, I guess. No, but, I, but, I, but it, we, we don't know. We don't really do like you know. We're not a satirical band. I would, I, I must say. Well, you got that accordion yeah. there. We, we, we don't parody. really do music about music. Well, that's no, the thing. no, you're intelligent. I don't mean that. That's sort well, of. Well, Spike Jones is intelligent in his own way too. But yeah. I mean, just for you know, if we're. If we're getting down to the business of. Defining, I mean, John, John I mean, how would you define? How would you? I mean, no, it's really weird You're a music. Soldier, an intelligent man. Yeah, so let me <laughs> let me tell you what I really like. Okay, let me see if this one works. I, what I like about you guys is the kind of the same thing I liked about uh, like early Talking Heads and, and David Byrne. You uh -huh. write songs about nouns, kind of nouns and pronouns. Uh -huh. There are a lot of inanimate nouns. objects. That. So it's like uh, um, uh, uh, what is it? Multiplication rock. Yeah, nouns are a vehicle. <laughs> we've got, a little, of we've got a little bit of educational material, <laughs> yeah. and we and we do some you know popular songs. That's that's you know I mean we want them to be popular. Yeah. We, well, say, popular. we say we don't get to decide if they're popular. Multiplication rock. You can hear Linnell. And by the way, I'm projecting here. We don't know what he's thinking, but I, I'm, this is my projection: is that someone saying that to them is is very annoying. You've had so many fun educational songs. Do you get a lot of fan mail from science teachers? We, uh, well, I don't actually get to read a lot of the mail because it goes up to our office, but they forward us uh, the nice ones. Um, they shield us from the mean <laughs> ones uh, at our office. But, um, yeah, we do, we, we get, we definitely get uh, letters, appreciative letters from people. The other thing is if you, if you go look at videos of ours on YouTube, I, it seems to me like a lot of the comments are along the lines of my sixth grade teacher made us watch this and, you know, and then either it's like, well, I, you know, in spite of that, I like them or something like that. <laughs> so that's the first step, right? We've got all these DJs constantly interviewing them. And, and by the way, this is all I have, but there's probably m mm. more out there, not bootlegs, right? Not recorded or, or print interviews too. Now you've done so many songs and, and science related or logic based do you think you would ever do a song that's like causation? 
song about causation. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. That sounds like a challenge. Um, we, we, you know, we, we've done a, a science record, and um, we um, are no longer uh, putting out the, those Disney Here Come the DVDs. So now let's go into some of these concert intros for Mammal which I think shed a lot of light on, even on deep levels, on mm-hmm. what he was going for with this song. Because, you know, we can just say on the surface, this is a song where he's sort of saying scientific terms and facts about mammals. Mm-hmm. And you kind of wonder, like, why? Like, what is, <laughs> what is the idea here? Is there more to it than just an info dump? Yeah, exactly. And I'm guessing there is. Let's go into some of these intros. Uh, so here, here's one of them. This next song, which is on... Our much neglected, much maligned fourth album, Apollo 18, ladies and gentlemen. This is a song that teaches you stuff about stuff that you maybe don't want to know. And that's why this song is called Memo. So, teaches you stuff you don't want to know, which I think is funny to Linnell, and, and he elaborates on that in this clip. So, um... Smell smoke. Um, here's a uh, here's a song we do. It's about mammals. It tells you all the stuff that you need to know to fill up your brain pointlessly, so you'll forget the important things that you need to know later. Where you put your keys. That's what this song is all about. So I I always like that concert intro because (laughs) to me it sounds like a Linnell lyric. (laughs) So I think part of the key to this song is is the thing that was funny to him also about James K. Polk, which we talked about several episodes back, which Mm -hmm. is the the idea of doing a scientific song in itself is the joke or is the weird thing. Like, why is this happening kind of thing? But let's... Let's go to the next clip, which is, I really think is Linnell. Clip-a-thon. It's really uh, Linnell reacting to those radio DJs. And I think this is the more, I think this is a pretty revealing one. And you'll like this, Dave, because you like when people are annoyed. <laughs> no, I don't. Here's a song off the Apollo 18 album. This is a song that we, uh, we do that people think of as typical of our material, but it's not. It's one of the very few songs like it in our repertoire in that... It has a sort of remedial school, learn this thing without wanting to aspect. All right, here we do. Here we go with a song that teaches you stuff. Very atypical of the work of the band. Here we go. Yeah, he's annoyed. I guess he needed to re-emphasize that. So I I thought that was fantastic. Um, he's clearly in whatever happened that week or those right. years of being, and they might be giants. Everyone constantly saying, "You do educational stuff. You do educational stuff. Why do you do educational stuff?" And he's kind of lashing out a bit uh, to a, <laughs> a crowd that seems a little confused. So that that's something that's really interesting to me about Mammal and also about John Linnell's songwriting instincts, which is that he'll he'll write these things that are so easily miss I don't even know if misunderstood is the word but it's something it's like someone's it's like people are just slightly missing what he's what he's doing well I think everyone is obsessed with categorizing yeah uh and just really trying to put people into one place or another 
when, when I'm going to throw some words at you right now, and hopefully you'll cringe. <laughs> Goof, goofy, wacky, quirky, and... Yes, and cringy. <laughs> I mean, what do you react to when people kind of like to summarize you up? Well, I mean, I don't think anybody likes to be kind of... When, we're in a, when we tour Germany, people actually say, uh, what kind of uh, box would you like to be put in? Yeah. And it sort of lets the cat out of the bag in terms of what they're really trying to do. I mean, I don't think anybody particularly wants to be, you know, put in a box when they're doing, they're, you know, expressing themselves or it's whatever. It's funny because we've been kind of um, given the choice between um, being considered stupid and, and too smart. Yeah, I completely agree. I think, think there's way too much of that sort of thing in general. Well, it's like if things are slightly not what you're used to, you're just like, oh, this th I can't make sense of this in my brain, so I'm yeah. going to just say it's quirky, or I'm just going to say it's science-y. I, I frequent the uh, Twin Peaks Reddit, and that's like... David Lynch is a really good uh, example of that. Yeah, the way people describe the show or what David Lynch is supposedly yeah. going for, I'm always like... How do they think this yeah. stuff, you know? Or like Kubrick, you know, or any of these guys where they're just like, well, yeah. I don't get it, so I'm going to dismiss it. You know, not that I'm not uh, interested in that kind of thing, too, because it, it, Twin Peaks begs to be interpreted. and But they do it in such a way that's so, like, this means this, mm -hmm. you know? And they kind of ignore all the mood and the overall ideas and stuff. Anyway, we should talk about... I do have more clips <laughs> for later. Okay. We, sh we should talk about the... Uh, the music in this, uh, I, I do think it's it has that effortless melodic quality mm -hmm. that a lot of Linnell songs have where it's just like, it's just, I don't know, it comes out so so naturally, you know? But then when you actually try to play the chords and stuff, it's like a complex, it's pretty like complicated song. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, you know, I, I remember like being like, oh, I can probably learn this and thinking it was like really hard to play. <laughs> yeah, what do you think about the first line, glass of milk? Because... <laughs> <laughs> Well, this is the thing. I actually could play this the clip here. This is the thing. The song isn't just factual. To me, it's it's more than that. And Linnell actually says that uh, in one of the intros. So let, let's. Did you ask me a question or? <laughs> so John, what, tell us about the next song. Chickens and apes together. It's freaky. Here's a speaking of um, the animal kingdom. This is a song about um, about the, uh, the the mammalian. Uh, <laughs> It's um, it's it's poetic, so don't use it on your on your uh, zoology test. Just you know, I know it's a little late to start warning people about. It. When you say poetic, do you mean it's not true? I, it's true in a, in a in a sense, like you know, the truth that's beyond truth. Whoa, you know what I'm talking about? Whoa, it's uh, it's music. <laughs> it's music. It's like, this is a song. Like, yeah, so Dave, Glass of Milk, I think the first line is a good example of what he's saying. This is not a textbook. This is a... No, I actually was looking at these lyrics today and mm -hmm. noting how it's about what a slim chance, I guess, nature has sometimes of uh, surviving. How appropriate that we should be doing this next song, which is also about staying alive. In fact, all our songs are about staying alive. We'd like to dedicate this show to the living. With a special long-distance dedication to the near dead. So the first couple of lines where it's, uh, so glass of milk, you know, meaning mammals are the only species that produce their own milk. What? Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> Wait, where does my milk come from? <laughs> you know, like, you know, reptiles don't make milk that what? they feed to their young. Um, what do they feed to their young? I don't know. They just eat their young. Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess they just eat like other, you know, animals or berries. <laughs> feed them mammals. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but mammals are nourished of their own milk. So yes, that's interesting. Um, I never, weirdly, never put that together. Neither did I until <laughs> well, today. I, this is why I'm glad you're. Alive. But then that is the distinction that you know allows them to survive extinction in the cold. Meaning, you know, because they're that's one characteristic of, of being a mammal. Obviously, the one there he's talking about is being warm blooded, so yes. you can survive in the cold. Um, is that true? <laughs> <laughs> is that, is get, it literally warm or does getting, warm getting mean something else? Here. Yeah. I think that's what that means. Well, cold-blooded means you can survive in the cold. Or no, that means you can't survive in the cold. Should we look this up? Guys, there's a lot of science podcasts out there. <laughs> you could just Yeah, I'm not a nerd. Those. I don't know. That's not what this is. I know about one thing, and that's they might be giants. <laughs> uh, well, basically, they're saying whatever it takes. An X-Files. <laughs> whatever it takes... <laughs> Yeah. In in nature, for yeah. you know this species to survive, it, it's doing it. Yeah, and it's it's moving along just fine. That's what it's saying. Yeah, and I do think starting the song with glass of milk because only humans could make glasses of lick of. It's not like animals drink from glasses. Monkeys, as might. far as it, well, it's true. You got me there. You stupid son of a bitch. <laughs> um, but no, starting it because putting it in like a glass of milk is a. <laughs> I can see Linnell looking at a glass of milk and having all these like like, (laughs) mind-blowing thoughts. Yeah, like it is a strange symbol for mammals and humanity and all, you know, it's a strange- Mama's milk. It's it's a strange, I don't want to hear about the porn you watched last night, Dave. (laughs) It's a strange thing to think about in a Linnellian way. So the warm blood flows through the large four-chambered heart um, thing is, you know, it's, it's textbooky, but it is poetic because when you break things down in such a way, it is kind of a, not to be too like hippie-ish, but it is kind of like, whoa, like this is what life is, man, you know? Yeah. And it, or, or, or lady. And it can be very fragile. Like it's, it's amazing yeah. that it works, I guess was my I'm point. Con- I'm actually thinking, I think about that like all the time in terms of these uh, hippie thoughts. I, I think this is yeah. an, another good intro to listen to from John Linnell about the song. Thank you very much. Here's a song that we do. It's about our friends, ourselves, the mammal kingdom. So the the idea that this song, it's funny because it's called Mammal and it's very like outward looking at mammals, but the fact that we're mammals too is, I think, an important part of the song. And it's something that's like not to be ignored. Trifled with. Yes. (laughs) Don't you dare. Dead serious. Yeah. Well, I guess that's kind of what I, yeah, it ties into what I was saying before. It's like, what are the, uh, I don't know, scientific odds that we would have, if you believe in this sort of thing? <laughs> I think a wizard what? made us all into being, <laughs> yeah. You know, branch off and become. Nostradamus. <laughs> uh, become our own sort I of I imagine Nostradamus that, with a wizard's hat. I don't know if he did, but. Yeah, probably, right? Bill Burr had this great thing. I think it was Bill Burr where he's like, how come wizards always have gray beards? <laughs> well, they don't shave. <laughs> Well, they take care of themselves. Yeah, look for Dave's upcoming comedy special where he <laughs> what's para- the deal with wizards? Paraphrases Bilber. It's the only way I could have something funny. Uh, yeah, I know what you're saying. Or no, I don't. Just keep saying what you're I saying. For- I forgot what I was saying. I-, I think you know these sort of incremental changes to our DNA that turn us from you know monkey to human, or from like mouse to human. I think we share 94 percent of our DNA with mice. Yeah, but it's like we're definitely not mice. You know. 
Yeah, and dinosaurs are birds and vice versa. Yeah, and all kinds of crazy shit. Everything's to the, the pig is fucking the sheep and the fish. <laughs> Who's having sex with the chicken? Who's having sex? That's what I was, that's what I was, my brain was trying to get to, but I. They're all the same. That's Pavoice. So I think the, the main cute, uh, I think the, the main cute uh, suspect of this song is the line, they raise, raise a, a paw. paw yeah. I'm here. It's like, there's no way to say paw without it being cute. I mean, it's the, like they're all in a classroom and their attendance is being. That's what's very cute. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry, John Linnell. It's, that is very cute. Yeah. And I, he knows it's cute. Though there's something really not cute about that line the more that I, I thought about it, which mm-hmm. is that we'll talk about this later, but you know, the song mentions species of animals and mm-hmm. or cate- categories of mammals that are extinct. So when, yes. when John Linnell is saying their names are called, they raise a paw. And then he's like the fox, the ox. What he's saying is like, <laughs> these are still <laughs> I, in I attendance. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so like these animals are still here. Some are absent. And some are absent. <laughs> and oh, I, that is creepy. I was thinking about that a lot. And I was like, that's really sad. And it made the song a lot sadder to me. And it made that part less cute to me <laughs> because what he's, I never even put it together that he's listing like a teacher would, like he's listing the fox, the ox, giraffe, like mm-hmm. they're all here in front of me raising their little paws and like, who's not here? You know, the... The uh, cutest ones. The cutest ones of all. Probably. Yeah. So I, I just thought, I thought that was like a really sad way to read that cute section and I'm glad I ruined it for everyone <laughs> and for you. Their names are called, they raise a paw, the bat, the cat, dolphin and dog, koala bear and But you're reminded that it once was there From the embryonic whale To the monkey with no tail And the music is cute, too. We yeah. talk about the music, which we haven't really... Flansburg is doing lovely... I dare you. He's doing lovely little guitar uh, noodles. Actually, a lot of the song, when I was listening to it for the, the podcast, more of it was, like, not MIDI than I remembered. Like, because in, in my mind, the song is just, like, Linnell at a keyboard, right? It's really filled up with Flansburg's guitar, like, in, in both sides of the stereo and mm. doing little, lots of little melodies and riffs. And I think he adds a lot to the... I don't know if Flansburg's guitar... This would be interesting to know if, if his what he's doing on guitar was in Linnell's MIDI thing and he got replaced or if Flansburg thought of it. I don't know. We don't know how over right. arranged Linnell's demos are mm-hmm. uh, usually, but yeah, I love that. That's I love that the song it does have this kind of fake MIDI feel, but it also has this very warm quality to it through the guitar it's tone. Very warm, and there's like organ and the drums are are kind of very um, minimal, but more I'd say more drum machine sounding than mm-hmm. usual, in my opinion. They almost sound like a beating heart, right? That's right. Boop, boop. So yeah, Linnell's organ, it's funny, they sound similar, but Linnell's playing like an organ that's on the left side. I hope people listen to this podcast with headphones because we they do don't. a lot of stuff like that. Um, and then Flansburg's guitar, which has a similar, uh, in terms of EQ and the, the sound, the register and the notes, similar sound to what Linnell's doing on the organ. So the warm blood flows with the red blood cells lacking nuclei through the large four-chambered heart. So let's talk about the next verse, which again, I think is poetic and interesting. One of us might lose his hair, but you're Mm -hmm. reminded that it once was there. Yeah, that's what I was just talking about. Yeah, from the embryonic... Evolution is called 
It's called. <laughs> Evolution's calling. Pick up. Yeah. Bitch. <laughs> Uh, let's just quickly say what an embryonic whale is, because I've never known until... Ew. <laughs> I just, it looks fucking gross. I just put a... Uh, so, Ugh. whales in the womb, embryonic... That's repulsive. There's actually, like... Nature's disgusting. There's museum exhibits. Uh, Dave, Dave going to, like, a nature museum. He just loudly <laughs> stomps through the rooms. That's disgusting. He's eating sound, a pretzel, eating a like big pretzel. <laughs> You really have no respect for me. So there's, they have these on display in like museums and stuff, like em- whales in the womb, like, and you could actually, they've done a lot of research into like how things exist in the as fetuses and stuff, mm-hmm. but from looking at whales, and it's like really interesting. I'm not going to try to summarize it. What he's saying is like the in terms of the line, you know, you're reminded that it once was there from the embryonic whale. It's because you're, you look at how these things form, and you get like clues to our entire right ecosystem and by evolution and all that stuff right same with the monkey with no tail yeah it's all like connected it's very interesting Uh, i will say uh there's a lot of if you look at the tumblr and even old interviews and fan q a's like people always say that this song helped them on a biology test well and i have to say i am guilty of this cliche because Hmm. i literally (laughs) i have a very specific memory of taking a test in biology class and there was a line about it was, I don't remember the exact question, but it was about which kind of blood cells lack nuclei. And it was a multiple choice, like white blood cells, red blood cells, or whatever, or neither, or both. And I was knew that it was red blood cells. And I got Ooh, that right. And I got a 63 on the test from, I don't know. I did really bad <laughs> in school because I was dumb. But, um, and I still am. Are, anyway. you, are you looking for me to say no? Yes. It's not going to happen. Their names are called. I'm going to say it's great to be name-checked in another song yet again. The Fox. Oh, holy shit. It's me. The Fox. That's Dave. Dave Fox. So almost before the end of the song, Linnell kind of drops a bunch of references to mm-hmm. kind of uh, esoteric references to kind of obscure mammalian categories. Yeah. Um, first, he says, placental, the sister of her brother, Marsupial. So I always thought the grammar in that was weird. I think there's be a comma after the word placental, right? He's like, placental Probably. is the sister of. So let's, let's very quickly, I don't want to just sit here and read Wikipedia to, to no, our seriously. listeners. But just because just I've always wondered this myself. So, um, and this song, this podcast made me look it up. Is that where the word placenta comes from? I think it is. Gross. So pl- <laughs> placentals are. I'm so immature. It says placentals are, are distinguished from other mammals and that the fetus you hear that, Dave? The fetus is carried the in... The third time we've said fetus in this one. <laughs> and won't be the last. Oh. Is carried in the uterus of its mother to a relatively late stage of development. Um, nice. So what's a good example of a placental? Vampire bat. Probably okay. the coolest name for Seriously? a mammal. <laughs> it's like badass bat. Yeah, nobody fucks with that bat. Uh, human. Oh, shit. We're placentals? Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> Hold the... I didn't sign up presses. for this. <laughs> Hold the phone. It's funny because in, in the Wikipedia, it just lists human with a picture of a human. And it's like, that is a human. <laughs> it's like, how do you, you could pick anyone. It could be like a guy in a suit. That's true. It could be an old woman. It could be a kid on a slide. 
their cousin called Monotream. Monotream. Is that where monorails come from? <laughs> yeah. Say this for each one. Monotream are one of the three main groups of mammals, along with placentals and marsupials. Platypus, Dave. Is that <laughs> actually Dave? Wait, you know what? what what's your what? favorite? What's your favorite mammal? Fucking, we got to say that. I'll tell you what, my least favorite is me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right now, yeah, I hear that. My favorite Probably mammal. Me too. Oh, there's so many Remember good that ones. Sitcom, my favorite mammal. <laughs> I like all of them. Every time I read about elephants, I'm like, Jesus! Like, there's a lot of crazy. They're so smart and. Interesting. They're big, I hear. They're big. <laughs> they're big in Japan. They're big, they're bold. Yeah, they have funerals. No, I know. I don't even like they thinking cry. about that. I know, it's fucked up. Uh, I don't know. I like monkeys. Monkeys are funny. Do you do? I remember, it's do, funny, do. When, when I first became friends with Dave, one of the earlier things I knew about him was that he thought monkeys were really funny. They're, do you remember? I, I do. You talked about it a lot. <laughs> Did I? There was like this weird, it was a kind of, you know, like when you watch like a Kevin Smith movie and you're just like... This guy has this one characteristic. I was the monkey <laughs> Talks guy. about monkeys a lot. And, you know, Dave was kind of the dude in my friend group who's like, he thinks monkeys are funny. Tell me they're not. Tell me they're not. <laughs> I dare you. They throw their own shit. That's just one of many great things they do. <laughs> but, Listen, uh, monkeys are funny. You can't take that away from me. So monotrines, uh, this comes up in the song, Echidna. That's a monotrine, actually. Um, it seems that what from looking at the, the <laughs> are pictures, you kidding me? Oh, never mind. Mo Monotremes just seem to have weird like beaks and beaver tails and spikes and porcupine <laughs> things. You know, what do they just take all the parts of people and put them together? Yeah, monotremes are kind of funny. And then it says dead uncle Alotheria, which is a, 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 a interesting, uh, kind of sad way to put it. And let's talk about Alotheria. The reason it's dead uncle, Dave, is because Alotheria is an extinct branch of mammals. You don't say. No more Alotheria. They've From come the and Greek, gone. Meaning other beasts. Yeah, yeah. I want to just see what makes an Alotheria special. Tick. <laughs> they have a narrow pelvis, like me. Uh, they gave <laughs> what birth. What is happening? They gave, <laughs> they gave birth to tiny, helpless young, like like me. <laughs> Either one. I either do give birth or I am a tiny, helpless young person. Okay. It says the most important characteristic of Alotheria, which is not existing more, is a lower teeth equipped with two longitudinal row of cusps. So something about their lower jaw and teeth is what makes Alotheria special. I don't quite get the big deal myself. I think a little overhyped. Yeah. I say good riddance. I'm glad they died. I always thought the end of the song was really interesting. What it you, ends so ominously. It, yeah, it ends on like, I believe that's like a, a minor. A minor, I right? think it's like a C-sharp minor or something. After being so cute the whole time. Yeah, it kind of ends on a sad note, Echidna Caribou. Yeah. And I always thought like it's, you know, I know Caribou mostly from the Pixies song. Oh my God, I have the same thing in my notes. I know, I'm like, is it a reference in a way? I mean, on the one hand, it couldn't possibly be a reference, but on the other hand, with all the mammals he could have picked, why yeah. Caribou? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's like a pretty famous pixie song. And it's like why caribou is kind of an esoteric mammal, at least where we are. There's none in around, right? Non-queens, no. <laughs> Let's check back in with Ed and see what he has to say about mammal. Mammal. 
I, I'm going to assume this is mostly like a pre-sequenced thing, but there is some interesting sounds going on. You know, drums, bass, sequenced. Uh, there, there was that Tom sample that you, that you mentioned. You said, I think you said that they sound fake. <laughs> well, I was. They, they sound the drums in this song sound more intentionally fake than than the most of the other songs. Where it's that's part of the concept of the mix is that this is a little drum machine, not a not a person. <laughs> no, know? I think it's, I think they always wanted everything to sound like live drums. I think that's kind of why they they ended up getting a live drummer after this. You know, I think they wanted it to sound live and real. So yeah, so like that Tom was, I mean, I think some of it is just a matter of like, you know, Paul getting used to recording the samples and the other parts of the, in the, whatever they did in the mix. That B3 is also um, the one, the, the Magic Shops one, mm-hmm. which is in there. The bass of this one, like they were all like sequenced and sampled, but this one, the bass definitely sounded fake because they, they went too high. Like they, you know when a sample has a certain range? Yeah. And it, yeah. And it was really obvious to me that they had extended the range too high on the bass. So when it <laughs> yeah. gets to the higher parts, it's it just sounds very, very fake. Yeah, which I think they like. So yeah, that's Mammal. Look, it's a great song. Something that surprises me is is they play it almost like every show for a while. Like there's, it comes up so often in their set list. You think they play it for the ladies? Yeah, I think so. Not to be a sexist pig, but hey. Pig, another kind of mammal. Another mammal. Every time we mention and also, yeah, God, we you know, the the fucking the animals <laughs> Jeez, the an, the animals on this album. The animals. It's, it's, <laughs> the animals, they're everywhere. Okay. This album has a lot of animals, a lot of mammals. This really hits the point home. Let's move on to the next track. Big single, big, big great song. The statue got me high. The statue got me high, the statue got me high The monument of granite Santa beam into my eye The statue made me die The statue got me high, Dave. Wow. What do you think of this one? There's, yeah, this is, I, I love, I do love how this one sounds. It's a really big production. Mm-hmm. You know, it actually, it almost, it kind of reminds me of Someone Keeps Moving My Chair, like the way it's mixed, like the guitars in it, mm-hmm. just these big chords. Yeah. And it's, in terms of Linnell's songwriting, it has that great, like, there's a certain kind of chord progression that he does where things, it just moves along so mm-hmm. smoothly where it's not these huge changes, but it's like, you know, the, the ding, the ding, the ding, like it kind of reminds me With of- With long notes over him. Yeah, long yeah. vocal melodies. Yeah, it's it's one of I I do think it's one of Linnell's like most fantastic songs just in terms of the melody and the chords and I do think the production's great. The the drums on this one I, I think they sound really good. They're really it's funny, I was comparing them to other drums on other tracks on Apollo 18 and like the drums are really big in this one, really mm-hmm. like they kind of have a like a little heavier sound, you know. I like this song a lot. I was never if I'm being a hundred percent honest, I was never crazy about the title. Really? Well, saying something got me high means like you're really impressed by it, right? You had some kind of out-of-body yes. experience. Um, but I don't know. It just seemed like kind of like a drug joke or something. Yeah, which I, I, I think it kind of is. Yeah. Sort of. Or is it like a joke of what a pretentious person says when they're really impressed by a work of art? Yeah, well, let's let's go into this because we actually have some good quotes from John Linnell about oh, this okay. and a few a few clips, a few passages to read. I don't know what you would say instead of that. I mean, I don't have like a better idea, so... 
I'd say like the statue blew my mind. Oh, that's pretty good. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> right? So, well, well, that's sort of my point is like right. that, that works. And I think it conveys the same idea, but I think it's a too, I don't think it's as layered as yeah, he wants. I think fair. he wants people to be a little confused, mm-hmm. right? Let's talk about some of the origins for this song and what he's going for. First, I, I'm going to play a, a clip. Well, this is actually Flansburg explaining the song, which I think is Flansburg maybe mm-hmm. maybe guessing what it's about, actually, unless it's based on a discussion the two of them had. But he didn't have anything to do with it, right? No, he had nothing to do yeah, with it. As far as I know. Useless. <laughs> no, just kidding. <laughs> but um, so this is them on, on our favorite show, Man Cow. And oh, boy. I actually, this this clip overlaps because I played some of this clip on our flood episodes because they brought up a bunch of songs in this clip. So this is Man Cow challenging their assertion that their songs mean anything. Right. So let's listen. And they mentioned Statue Got Me High in the clip, which I cut out in the flood one because we weren't up to it yet. It's all a big charade, everyone. So anyway, let's listen to this. Uh, <laughs> how about uh, how about the Statue Got Me High? What's that mean? Well, you know, it's just one of those... It's crap! It's one of those elliptical songs. <laughs> I've been trying to decipher crap! What are you talking about? It's about being swept away by an art experience. Yeah, well, what's Don Giovanni oh. about? Okay, anyway, all right, all right. Answer well, me that. Well, there you go. I, I thought, to me, it represented the Virgin Mary. Okay, fair enough. We're taking calls. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I want to know that this stuff, because I sit and try it does, to figure it, it does, out. It does, it does. We think very hard about the lyrics, and we throw away a lot of lyrics that are yeah. not so meaningful. So it does mean something. Yes. Okay. So an uncomfortable interview. I, I love the man cow clips because I just, I don't know, he, he kind of puts it to them in a way that most polite uh, DJs don't do. And it makes them, I think they're very funny in those clips. They Might Be Giants are uh, specifically. <laughs> but um, so Flansburg's view of the song is that it's about being swept away by an art experience, which I think is really interesting, right? Yeah, that makes sense to me. That's what it's about. And then Linnell kind of goes along with that in this quote from this, the book I have. He says, it's kind of a song about having an epiphany or something. Right. The song started with a completely different lyric. I think the song was called The Apple of My Eye. The Apple of My... When I came up with the line, the statue got me high, it amused me. See, Dave, it kind of goes with what you said about Mm. he's kind of messing with people a bit. Um, Well, I don't want to take away anyone's amusement. Yeah. So then he says, it was taking two things and putting them together. Not a non sequitur, but something sort of interesting and odd about the juxtaposition of those two things. Part of it is, and I really think this is key, part of it is that it's the idea that the statue would be in a public square, a Mm -hmm. monument, not necessarily a work of art, but something that's just utterly immobile and represents something that's in the past. Just the idea of that blowing somebody's mind. It seems like one of the least likely things to make the top of your head come off. And that's what happens in the song. So let's unpack that. As Linnell says, it amused him. I think a lot of his lyrics are things that kind of uh, make him laugh. Uh, I think that's the initial instinct, right? Even though they're not a comedy band. But I understand that instinct because for me, a lot of of any ideas I have do start with me like, what's a funny, what's something funny I thought of? Mm -hmm. The joke in the song is that something very kind of boring, like just a a typical statue you'd Mm -hmm. see in any, any town square or whatever park, is just so unbelievable to someone mm-hmm. that their head blows up because there's like a cartoon, right? Sure. And I think that's like really funny and weird idea for a song. But I mean, there could be statues that are more like works of art too, like yes, you know, a Michelangelo he, sculpture or something. Which makes sense that it would blow someone's mind. I've seen mm-hmm. sculptures where I'm like, how yeah. the hell did sure. someone do that? But the fact that Linnell um, is specifically saying that the idea to him, even though this isn't really in the lyrics, right? but the idea to him is that it's a boring statue. <laughs> hmm. It's very funny. Yeah. 
And even the word statue is like, because he's not saying the sculpture. That's a very good point. Yeah, it's like yeah. a statue. And the statue just has this, that word is very just like, if you say someone's like, oh, you're acting, you're being like a statue today, Norm or whatever. <laughs> it just means someone's being very cold and not really very uh, alive or active, right? You know, you've heard that. You've been called a statue, right? Uh, is it just my know. girlfriend? That, no. I don't know what you're talking about. How dare you? Really every line kind of, emphasizes what Linnell says in that quote, but yeah. like, I, it, it doesn't, insist, the lyrics are so weird though. Like, so the monument of granite. That's another way to say statue. Yes. That's for sure. There's a lot of that in this song. Sent a beam into my eye is like funny. Cause I always yeah. literalize it in my mind. Like I see yeah. it like. Ouch. A, <laughs> right. Am I yeah. right? Pew, kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. Statue made me die. It took my hand. It killed me and it turned me to the sky. I also love that this was a single cause it's so weird. <laughs> it's like, oh, how universal. Right. Um, because even Don't Let's Start, it's like, oh, there's some heartbreak in there. Right, and Birdhouse seems, see, with how weird the lyrics of Birdhouse are, they seem to resonate with people pretty on a pretty direct level, right? But this as a single is so funny to me. Um, not that it's the only single that is weird. Like, put your hand inside the puppet head is pretty fucking mm -hmm. weird too, right? Uh, motherfucker. Whoa, um, relax. I also think a key, very Linnell line in this, which pops up in a lot of his, the kind of themes that he does is, Though I once preferred a human being's company, <laughs> mm -hmm. which is just like I never preferred that. I, I always see Linnell as a very antisocial kind of yeah, person, sure, quiet, sure. not a big party, not a not a guy who hangs around after the TMBG shows mm -hmm. to talk to a bunch of people, you know. Which he has, you know, is his right to do whatever he wants, right? Um, so I always thought that yes. line was funny, and I also I could see that line being like a very potential like spark for the song. It's just like, I'm done with people. Yeah, I just yeah. want to stand and I look at a statue. <laughs> kind of like four of two. Like I'm just going to stand here huh. for the rest of my yeah. life staring at this thing, right? Right. One other thing I wanted to say, because I was going to say in the chorus, but this song doesn't, this song has a weird structure. It's almost like um, everything almost feels like a pre-chorus or like it is the chorus, but there's like, what is the chorus of the right. song? Because the lyrics keep changing and yeah, you know what I'm saying. I know exactly what you're saying, my friend. <laughs> yeah. My friendly friend. So he goes, the statue got me high and you hear, hi. Yeah. But at the end, at the tail end of them, especially later, it's really subtle, but I'm, I, because I've noticed it once, I always hear it mm -hmm. really loud in my face, but it goes like, the statue got me high, hi, hey. It's like Flansburg or someone saying, mm -hmm. hey. And then there's a more like kind of defeated hey after it, where he's like, hey. Huh. Let's listen. I don't, yeah, I I'm going to play this. I'm going to play this for Dave. It's really. I'll subtle. take your word for it, but I'm skeptical as all hell. The statue got me high. The statue got me high. The truth is where the sculptor's chisel chipped away the line. The statue made me fry. The statue made me fry. My contained a Says hey, right? You heard it. Goes, yeah, hey. yeah, it kind of trails <laughs> off. Yeah, it's interesting. I don't know. It's a little detail, and I don't even know if you're, I don't even know if they think people are hearing that or not, but it's so tiny and subtle, but you really hear him go like, hi, hey. Hmm. It's, it's interesting. And it's not just the end of the word. He's not just going, hi. Like, it, it sounds like That's he's saying. That's what I heard. Yeah, it might be that. But yeah. to me, it sounds like he's saying, hey. Hmm. That's just a weird little uh, detail I've always been, like, <laughs> lock onto every time I hear the song. I can't not. And even when the music video, I, don't, I used to watch it being like, is he lip syncing that part? Wow. Like, in the background, Flansburg, right? I guess that'll be one of those things we ask them someday. Yeah, that's right. But yeah, God, this song, every 
section is so great and catchy on its own. Like it's really just this like stream of catchy ideas. Cause I love the whole, like it took my hand, it, like the chords there. And then I love the, like, the stone it called to me. Mm-hmm. It's almost similar to the set you got me high, but it's like shifted a little. Yeah. It's weird. It's like the same. Well, that's uh, why you were saying there's like no chorus. Yeah. Cause yeah. it's almost like slight variations on the same idea. Yes, exactly. Which is a funny, <laughs> funny for this song thematically yeah, in a weird a way. Statue. Yes. <laughs> Un- unmoving. And then uh, I have to say, like, it's just such a great Linnell, what, if you want to call it the bridge, post-chorus, pre-chorus, yeah. the, and though I once preferred, I just like, I love that Especially melodic. The horns. Oh my God. It's so yeah. great. Yeah. We can talk about the arrangement. There's like song is really Let's do. huge, lots of horns and lots of like great Flansburg guitar stuff all over. It's really one of the bigger sounding songs. And one of my favorite things is the drum beat in the different sections of the song. Like I love the drum mm-hmm. beat during the main, I guess it's hard to say what the main part is. Yeah. The part where it's like, now I see the things it's don't, it's like, like the hi-hats doing like a really interesting pattern. It kind of reminds me of like their earlier stuff. Cause I feel like the patterns the hi-hat and kick drum and stuff patterns on a polyteen are maybe a little more normal than the stuff they used to do, which were more highly regimented uh-huh. per part of the song, you know? But the the hi-hat and the beat in that one part of Statue Got Me High is amazing. And then I love the drums. It really adds to the catchiness of that one part. And though uh, once, it's like, it's almost like a surf beat kind of, it's like, and I just like that part is so catchy. Then in the background, there's like little accordion stabs and like little like counter rhythm things happening too. <laughs> Good song. <laughs> <laughs> tell they spent a long time on it which we actually talk about with ed mm-hmm. coming up soon do you want to you want to shoot to ed now yeah let's let's shoot to ed now okay let's talk about this is a really huge song the statue got me high this was a big single they made a they made a, a video for it which they didn't even do for ipal and Ramai. so i think this is yeah. even more of a, a single um yeah anything about statue got me high that's like a dense in my to my ears it is a dense recording with a lot going on well okay this was one of the first batch of songs that i know for mm. a fact because we had this song and then we had a couple weirder songs in that first batch <laughs> and this and this song was just really very catchy it was as soon as i heard the the, the melody and the and the lyrics it was stuck in my head like you know like, you know, Anna Ang or some of those other great, mm-hmm. you know, or, or earlier songs. It's also, like you say, it's very layered. They, they did a lot of overdubs on this. Um, I, think, I think it was kind of like, you know, in one, of the, one of their, okay, this is the first song we're producing. We should, you know, for the new record, you know, we should just, you know, go all out. We'll put in, like, you know, guitars and accordions in there and some woodwinds. And, you know, it's, it's interesting because I feel like on this record, Linnell might, might have been trying to get away from the accordion a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt like this one, he was, he was like, Trying to get through some more saxes and woodwinds, mm-hmm. and just yeah. kind of branch, just branch out a little bit. And in the organ, he put on some things. I think he was trying to like mix it up a little bit. Drums again, sequenced. Bass again, you know, sequenced. The one thing else I have a mention about about Flans is guitars uh, seem to be influenced by Roger McGuinn from the Birds. I could see it, the end part. Do you do 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 do? Yeah, yeah. It's because it sounds like a fake twelve string. I don't, I don't yeah. think he actually had a twelve string. I think he actually did just did two guitar parts with an octave. Yeah, sure. Kind of yeah, like, I, I, I remember him having like pulling out a twelve string. I think he literally just 
you know, faked it a little bit. Was just a statue standing where a statue got me high. And what they found was just a statue standing where the statue got me I mean, I think the sax parts in this are great. The, the yeah. choruses, those really add a lot. This, I think I think this is generally one of the better productions, and it's interesting because it was one of the first songs recorded. Um, they were trying a lot of different things, but, they, you know, it was all... I think Linnell had a very good idea of what he wanted out of this. So, yeah, he talked about how they, they seemed to spend a lot of time on this one, which is, it definitely sounds like that. Um, I love the weird drum fill... That sounds yeah, really yeah. unnatural. Like it's like uh, on su- robot. super speed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it took my hand, it killed me, and it turned me to the sky. The stone it called to I just think it's funny, and I think it's an interesting interesting thing to do because they're almost convincing you that this is a real drummer for a lot of the song. Like it yeah. really sounds natural, a lot of reverb like we discussed. And then that happens. And I think it's very funny and it goes well with the song because it's like a machine gun shooting someone's <laughs> head off. Mm-hmm. The other thing that I think about thematically for this song is I almost relate to this song when you're trying to like play They Might Be Giants for someone and, and how I took in They Might Be Giants when like they blew my mind when I first heard right. Flood and Birdhouse. Mm-hmm. It's like, because the last verses of this song, when he just goes like, and now it is your turn. Like he's spreading the love or whatever, the death. The disease. He's he's spreading it around because he's like, I can't just keep this to myself. Like yeah. this statue is going to do this to you too. And I'm I'm always like, I'm going to turn... I'm going to turn my girlfriend into a They Might Be mm-hmm. Giants fan or my friend, or, you know, Dave, into a They Might Be Giants fan. And that that instinct, I think, is captured really well in the song where he's just like, this thing blew my mind and now it's going to blow your mind. And I, right. re- I really relate to that on. in a weird way, right? And now it is your turn. Your turn. I also love the it's it's sort of a guitar solo, but it's this Landsberg doing these like piercing kind of long notes mm-hmm. over the like instrumental section of the song, right? And like kind of rocks out because yeah, the song is pretty like tightly arranged, you know. But that part the bends, yeah, yeah. It's like I guess it's feed feedback bends. Yeah, I don't even know quite know how you do. It's it's one of those uh, Flansburg things we've talked about before, where we're like, how do, what is he doing on guitar to make that happen yeah. exactly? Because it's not formally, it's not impressive in a formal technical sense, but it is like a very specific kind of cool sound. Right. What do you make of the last line where it says, and then, you know, going on the theme of spreading the words, everybody? Does it make yeah. you turn into a statue? No, I think that and then the, they'll find a statue standing where the statue got. You I know? like. See, I, it's funny. I like that idea that like the statue is a is it's like Medusa. <laughs> like <laughs> the statue is is someone who had blown been blown by right. blown by the statue. <laughs> That's a good statue. <laughs> no, the statue is someone who has turned into a statue because their mind got blown. No, I I always saw it as the person exploded and now there's nothing there except the statue, like an innocent statue. Like I didn't do anything. <laughs> gotcha. I love the realism that comes in with like the screaming fire engines because it's like, oh, we're in the real world. Like someone literally blew up in front right. of a statue <laughs> and someone called 911. Yeah, and Linnell does that a lot where he brings in like real world consequences yes. to these like uh, 
poetic metaphors. Yeah, I think that's like always that's really sort of like funny. his brand. The intro to the song live is something mm-hmm. I wanted to touch on because on the Ew. on the so the intro on the album to me sounds. I never thought it was weird, but whenever they do it live, it's like really, really purposefully atonal and out of tune and dissonant. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wanted to play this clip okay. of them about to, this was a, the Apollo 18 show that they did at Joe's Pub, and Linnell kind of mentions that in the intro here. So Let's hear. Well, if you're here for the first uh, set tonight, you know that the guitar players pick their notes right now before this next song. This is the moment when they decide what notes they're gonna play. (laughs) But it's a secret from everybody. I find it funny that live they and I've heard this on dozens and dozens of mm-hmm. concert bootlegs. Like they, the intro is intentionally super out of tune yeah. and wonky, which it's makes really it all weird. the more satisfying when it comes in and it's like statue got me. It's great. But on the album, I feel like they might've been too timid to make it too crazy. Mm. It's subtly a little off, I think, but, but it's not as crazy as it is live. So I think that would have been fun to start your big hit single from, I don't know if it was a hit. Mm-hmm. So your big supposed hit single from the album with like crazy out of tune guitars and stuff. Maybe, I don't know. That's a big risk. The only last thing to talk about with Statue Got Me High, um, though it's we- uh, to me it's a little weird to talk about because it wasn't intentional, is there's a bunch of shows where Linnell talks about how it matches up to the opera Don Giovanni. Yeah, I was going to ask... If you were going to bring that up, yeah, I should have known you would. It's funny because it's like, I guess I am bringing it up because Linnell discusses it, right? Mm. But the fact that it wasn't actually the inspiration. He said it in that other clip, though, that you played. He did. I know. I thought that was interesting. I think that's when he was like processing that or something. Maybe he's just like, fine. That's what it's about. (laughs) Yeah. Well, here, let's listen to this because he kind of talks about that. This song is about the, um, oh, it's about the life of Don Giovanni. That's right, it's about the life of Don Giovanni. I just found out the other day that this song is about the life of Don Giovanni. Well, I I hear a little bit of a resignation in that clip Hmm. (laughs) or something, I don't know. Linnell started just introducing this song. He also does it on the live New York album, Mm -hmm. which is an official release they did of a concert in New York. So let's just talk about that briefly because I don't want to get too into the weeds on this. So like there is a part in Don Giovanni. You don't have to tell me. I probably watched it a million times growing up. Have you? Yeah. Why don't you talk about it? I'm sure my parents took me to see this opera. As longtime listeners of the podcast will know, my parents are big classical music fans. Yeah. So I'm sure I've seen Don Giovanni. Don Mm Giovanni is a pretty good opera, though. It's one of the better ones. It's by Mozart. By Mozart. Wolfgang Amadeus. One of the best. (laughs) Probably like third best out there. But it's good because it's like darker and kind of more, you know, heavy metal, man. Well, so uh, very quickly, like the only thing, the reason John Linnell says this and was taken aback by this is because in Don Giovanni, there's a statue who like sends someone to hell. (laughs) 
So Linnell saying in the song, like, this statue made me fry. My, sure, coat, my yeah. coat contains a furnace, which is an interesting way to say, like, spontaneously combusted or that he's in hell. And right. in the, like, we can talk about the music video, which is that shows flames all around him. Right. One of the rare literal uh, things from the <laughs> lyrics in their music videos. Um, it is weirdly similar. Like, it's kind of crazy. I always wonder, like, did he subconsciously remember this? Probably not, though. So yeah, I like that. I think it's funny that Linnell adopted Don Giovanni as what the song's about. And mm-hmm. I think it's also like him saying that is kind of a like a wry comment on what people think their songs are about. Right. Like I think he I think he figures and I think that a lot of this is true because I've seen on the interpretations pages people often think of They Might Be Giant's song as like, oh, it's doing this book or this movie. Mm-hmm. Like they think that their songs are very, very like song versions of previously done works by mm-hmm. other people. Like I've seen that for a lot of the songs actually. So I think to him, it's kind of funny that it matches really well, but it's also like, like he said in his explanation for the song, I think Linnell's song ideas are a lot more hard to describe, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and he, do, I think he does a good job describing it in a lot of interviews. They're like these weird private jokes almost in a way. I think they're just sort of these uh, impulses he gets. Yeah, like something something that just hits you. It's like when you try to explain something funny to someone and you just can't do right. it. Right. <laughs> or like, you know, you explain the feeling of a dream you had, you know? Yeah, yeah. Where it's like, it's still once removed, but yeah, I mean, I think he captures it as well as anybody could possibly capture Yes. You know, what the intent is. But yeah, besides the few, as we discussed before, fact-based songs, he generally doesn't, you know, do these uh, literal literal things for people to say like, well, this reminds me of, uh, you know, something yeah. I've seen before. I think it very rarely he's doing that. There might be some cases we're not thinking of, but I don't... I- don't think that's kind of what he's he's going for. I also do think it's really cool if someone has a completely out there interpretation that's not what you intended at all. Yeah. But like kind of lines up in this crazy way where you could say like, well, sure, if that's what you think it is. Someone actually wrote me one since, you know, for one of my songs, which was pretty rare, you know, Dead on a Friday song interpretation. Yeah. But he was like, oh, I love that song because it just reminded me of, you know, X, Y, and Z. And I told him, I was like, that's completely not what it's about, but I love yeah. this interpretation. It's funny. That happened to me once at a concert as I was talking to the audience and uh, audience, the big, the giant crowd that was there. You have audience. And uh, I, I do someone just said, oh, I like this song. Is it about this? And I was just like, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just, it feels weird doing that because then you're ruining yeah. someone's idea of the song. But, and sometimes what the song, I think Linnell has talked about this too. Sometimes what the song actually is about is maybe less interesting than what the person thinks it's about. Yeah. I think this guy's interpretation was better. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And what they found was just a statue standing where the statue got me high. And what they'll find is just a statue standing where the statue got you high. Speaking of Linnell's crazy impulses, let's move on to Spider. He is our hero. Get rid of. Step on Spider. We love you, Spider. Spider, Dave. Um, (laughs) This is kind of, this is all kind of a centerpiece. Well, maybe the guitar is also, but to me, Spider is like, it's just one of those songs you think of when you think of Apollo 18. Yeah, can't deny that. Yeah, because it's funny because their earlier albums have lots of weird little songs and, mm-hmm. you know, especially like Miscellaneous Tea and their yeah. first album. But 
for some reason, Spider is even more of a standout than usual in terms of just yeah. them b- being really weird. And well, especially in the middle of Apollo 18, where there's just like a lot of singles one after the other. Yeah. <laughs> you know, singles in quotes. Yes. Um, and this is more of our animal theme, by the way. Ew. I forgot a spider's an animal. Spider, not a mammal. Not an insect. No. Either. Can, can I just say? It's an arachnid. Just say they're an insect. Who cares? Yeah. They might as well be. Who, yeah. Come two on. more legs. Who, what? Yeah. Two, two legs. Is that, that's what makes an insect? Yeah, man. I don't believe it. <laughs> <laughs> I just say I, when people go, it's not an insect. It's like, look, it's a little fucking thing. These creeps around. <laughs> Have you run into a lot like of people insect. that correct I you? I constantly on that? get into arguments about spiders. No, I get it. There, you want to be scientifically accurate. I guess in the spirit of this album, we should be. Right. <laughs> I'm just saying, get off your high horse about spiders not being insects. Well, they're gross, like insects. <laughs> they're disgusting. You know what's funny? <laughs> These can just talk about spiders. That's, Welcome to Spider Chat. That's the segment. No, the other day, and I noticed this a lot on Facebook and Instagram, is mm. that I'll follow people. Spiders who are really racist. <laughs> <laughs> they'll post like a picture of a spider and be like, look at this friendly little guy. And I'm like, that's fucking horrifying. <laughs> what are what, you doing? In what universe? Or they'll be like, look at this beautiful. And I'm just like, it's the scariest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> look, the only thing I'll give them, I'll give them this. The webs are beautiful. The webs are amazing. Look, nothing against the webs. Everyone loves the webs. I'm a web guy. <laughs> I love the web. Anyway, um, let's get into Spider. I thought we did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Didn't we talk about the song already? Well, I want to start right off the bat blowing Dave's mind. Sure. Um, something that I never realized was that the very beginning, ladies and gentlemen, is a sample. Oh, really? And I'm going to play you the source. Awesome. Yeah, I was going to ask if that was yeah, so, a sample. So check this out. This is from a James Brown Live at the Apollo album. And the track is called Introduction to Star Time. And it's Frankie Crocker introducing James Brown onto the stage. So check this out. It's the very, very beginning. Ladies and gentlemen, it's star time at the Apollo Theater. Million dollar seller, try me. Please, please, please. Papa's got a brand new bag. This is a man's world. Most constructive tune of 1966. Don't be a That's wow. it. That's it. And it's fun. So what they do, if it doesn't sound like it to you, listen. I'll play it side yeah, by side. Yeah, they slow it down or something? They pitch it down okay. in different pitches. Weird. So I know we, we probably already played the intro to Spider, right, as, as our show kind of does. But I'm going to just put them side by side. So check this out All right. again. Cool. Ladies and gentlemen. Hmm. You know, so they, they pitch it down. I used to think it was them. It sounds like them. I'm saying it. Yeah. And it's actually Ed uh, Douglas who, he, he mentioned this in an email. Like he said, oh, I don't know where the sample in Spider is from. And I, I was like, what? There's a sample? And right. then I, I found it. Uh, so yeah, isn't that crazy? That's mind blowing. So yeah, uh, James Brown album and, and Frankie Crocker, just because he's in the song, we can just mention him a little bit, which is, um, he was also called Frankie Hollywood Crocker. He was a disc jockey who on a black music radio station and mm-hmm. he was pretty legendary. He might've murdered someone <laughs> as it says in his huh. controversies section on Wikipedia, but maybe he didn't, we don't know. All right. It's a big maybe. He's basically this legendary disc jockey for soul music and other kinds of things. Cool. And that's who's fucking starts spider, which is crazy to me. So strange. I never knew that. So does that have any, uh, correlation to the (laughs) lyrics of spider? Yeah. See, that's funny. Cause I always think that cause I'm, I'm always trying to be like, well, what does this mean for the song? I don't think there's anything really. It is funny that, you know, it's like 
Frankie Crocker is introducing this legendary, you know, James Brown. And and in this version, he's like introducing this weird this song. song about a spider. It's like, ladies and gentlemen, they might be giants with yeah. spider. It's <laughs> just, I, I can see the humor there, you know. Sure, yeah. And it's funny because a lot of people know that sample apparently. If you like Google it, everyone just talks about Kanye West because he used mm-hmm. it in a song, which I'll just play a clip from because it's crazy that spider and this song have the same sample. Well, they're like the same song. They Might Be Giants led the way, though. I think Kanye uh, West owes a lot of his career to They Might Be Giants. Dave, what are you? What do you think of Spider? What a weird song, right? Yes, right, guys. I remember. I agree with that. I have a memory of of you discussing Spider. You mm-hmm. years ago in a very proto podcast thing, you posited that it was a reference to the Who's Boris the Spider. Oh, I did. And you played it for me. Yeah, you played it on your like little stereo. It's why, funny. Why do you have to say it was little? <laughs> Dave comes came, me down. came from modest means. <laughs> um, no, I, I just have this yeah. specific memory. It's funny because it's like Dave playing my role of the podcast. Yeah. But I remember Dave being like, no, listen to this. And you like put in, because you were like the who a lot at the time. Yeah, yeah. And you like played it. So, and the thing is, you might be right, but let's listen to I gotta be right. a clip of Boris the I Spider. I gotta be right. <laughs> so this is from the who, uh, their album, A Quick One from 1966. And I, yeah. I do wonder if they're referencing it because it, it does have a similar vibe. Yeah, it's funny because it, it sounds really similar to the way it's a spider. Yeah, I think what brought that to mind, besides that it's, you know, referencing a spider, obviously, was the uh, voices that It's the doing. voice and it's yeah. the weird music. And yeah. it's funny, I love that moment in like the mid-60s when bands were like, we don't have to just write love songs write <laughs> about anything. Because yeah. you got They're this like... doing a lot of drugs. <laughs> yeah, you've got this crazy kaleidoscope of weird songs that popped up on all these like rock albums in the 60s. Well, what I was going to say about the song, and I'm probably wrong, was I always thought this was a reference to Goodfellas, personally. The character Spider. By Chris... Um, Christopher. Chris, by <laughs> Michael Imperioli? Yeah. Why? Why did you think that? I don't know, because what other uh, famous spiders are there in pop culture? And it came out a couple of years before this album. His name is Spider. Oh, spider, Spider. I Look, I'm just putting it out there. I'm probably wrong. That's what we do. We put things out there. I mean, why not? Why, why can't it be about him? Well, how about this? I'll play a clip from our, our favorite. <laughs> to disprove me. <laughs> yeah. Sure. That's sort Make of... me look like an asshole, yeah. and then we'll move on. Um, <laughs> That's the show, basically. You're right. <laughs> By gum. <laughs> You're right. Um, here's a clip from, uh, once again, our, our favorite DJ Man Cow. And here's, here's him kind of barreling over what Spider, the inspiration is from. And then we're going to discuss this, and we're going to hash this out. So check this out. You know, it's not fair that you actually have evidence, and I just have harebrained theories. The, uh, they might be giants in the studio. Welcome to the program. Yay! Hey. Spider to me. Let me tell you what Spider meant to me. Okay. Spider was about uh, Ultraman and Johnny Sacco and all Asian movies. Oh, yeah. 
That's what it was. It seemed like you're, a salute to those. You're tapping right into that one. Excellent, there. excellent. Because they all talk like that. Mm -hmm. Spider, he is a hero. <laughs> we exactly. will go to the island. I will take you to my island. <laughs> ah. They're always going to the island. We will fight. Ah. Okay. Uh, they might be giants. Not even a little amused. Um, oh, yeah. yeah, we're awesome. We're awesome. We're loving, we're loving life here. Aren't you glad you didn't do we're, my show? Huh? We're fun-loving guys. Aren't you glad I've never been able to get you to do my show before now? Don't you wish you had no. just waited one more day? No, man cow, no. We've got a can of worms here to discuss. But was he agreeing, or were they just kind of... No, no, they were... We're going to go into this, but Spider is a very specific tribute to okay. these Japanese I children's shows. And, and Goodfellas. Because um, they like to mix things <laughs> together in their songs, right, Dave? Well, the name, though. I'm just saying the name in particular. Go on. It's funny because Man Cow, he really genuinely does love Spider because check, check out this clip from the same uh, interview with them. Something that uh, Man Cow and his team made, which I thought was amusing. He is our hero. Man Cow. You must listen to Man Cow. Turn on Man Cow. Man Cow. We love you, Man Cow. Ladies and gentlemen, they might be giants. Yeah. Yeah. We're happy to be here. We're, we're going to serve you with some papers over that uh, spider uh thing. That's right. Our people are oh. going to speak to your people. Yeah. Oh, man, and we, we got, got we got some serious lawyers. Okay, all right. It's pretty good. <laughs> so so he he loved Man Cow loves Spider. He loves they might be giants genuinely, I think even though he teases them a lot. Yeah. He's kind of a, a boorish uh, <laughs> asshole to them. What an odd fella. So let's get into this. Um so Spider is definitely a reference in in many ways to these well Japanese specifically mm -hmm. uh, children's shows, yeah. and this put me on just this thread of just I watch so many, <laughs> I watch so much of these things, and I've got a lot of clips that are really uh -huh. remind me of Spider. Kira is a masterpiece of creation. I know that Kira is the greatest creature on earth, and I'm not going to let you hurt it. It's dangerous, Doctor. He's right, that's a dangerous monster. So what? Can't you regard a monster like that as Dr. Makaido did? Kira! Kira! Show them how powerful you are! Show them what a great monster you are! I also talked to um, friend of the podcast, Chris Stangle, because mm -hmm. he's, he's specifically really into that. Ask him about Goodfellas. <laughs> Maybe he'll back me up. Aspect of pop culture, because I remembered, I remembered on the old news group, he would just... And this is before Wikipedia. He would just like go off about Godzilla for like th four paragraphs. Yeah. And I'm like, wow, he just has this memorized apparently. Mm -hmm. So I, I, a few months ago, I contacted him being like, what's your take on Spider? We had to outsource this one. Yeah, basically. So this, this is what Chris Stangle had to say about Spider. Spider seems to be a general mishmash parody or impressionistic recreation of the dubbing in 1960s and 70s mm -hmm. Japanese special effects fantasy action movies and TV. I think this goes for the voice, music, and sound effects. So I'm going to pause it there because we can talk about what he means by the music mm -hmm. and the sound effects. So the music in Spider, even aside from the lyrics and how close it is to those shows, mm -hmm. we've got these bongos and horns and stuff. And yeah. It does have a 60s vibe to it. Mm -hmm. And I'll, I'll play you clips from some of these shows because I, I've got the music in these shows is really like it's all bongos and horns, and it, it's kind of funny. So, As was popular at the time. Yeah, that's right. A lot of sixties, like spy movies too, yeah. and stuff have that kind of thing. So let's it, bring bongos back. That's hard to say. 
comes back. Oh, so well, so Mankell references that he said he says specifically this is a reference to Ultraman. Johnny Sacco and oh. Ultraman. So here's a clip from Johnny Sacco that I think to me sounded like the music from Spider. Mm-hmm. Oh, giant robot! So that clip alone, it's a very short clip, but to mm. me, that's spider. Is someone going, giant robot? And then right. you got these bon- 60s bongos and horns blaring, right? I promise not to kill you. Spider. I like the middle section with the horns. I love, it's funny because mm. you can tell it's like a sample because they stop so immediately. <laughs> it goes like, and it's like, there's no reverb. There's no tail yeah. at the end. It just kind of stops dead. I, I love I love the song on a musical level. I think it's really experimental and in the best way. So let's let me continue reading what Chris Stangle said. So because I wanted to I really wanted to get into that music thing right away. He goes, the affected voice Linnell is putting on mimics the dubbing these films and TV shows were given when imported for US children's audiences, though they became popular all over the world. Younger people might associate the sound with Godzilla movies specifically, but the broader genre is called tokusatsu in Japan. It just means special filming, as in special effects. And the genre is broad, encompassing superheroes, giant robots, kaiju, which is giant monsters, space, (laughs) space drama. So he goes, there are dozens and dozens of these shows, some cheap, some expensive, and they're all for children. I think that's sort of a key element in discussing them both respectfully and acknowledging that they're very silly. It's that they're pitched to entertain a little kid audience. I'm glad that the monster is destroyed. I don't know why the doctor created it. He wasn't satisfied with the reptiles he kept in his laboratory in the woods. They seemed insignificant. I think he must have loved monsters. Those doctors always creating monsters. The dubbing on these shows is legitimately odd and unique. Oh yeah, he says Johnny Sacco has things like adults doing cloying, unconvincing little kid voices, <laughs> deeply hmm. relished cackling bad guy voices, and completely stilted awkward phrasing and timing as the expert professional experienced dubbers try to time their lines to the characters' mm. mouths. There's nothing more we can do in there, Captain. I'm sorry, sir. The turbines have all been completely right. Have they? Then you're wise to get out. You did a good job. Hoshino's got that gun. I wish I had it. I blessed that monster right off the face of the earth. This is something really important. This is me now talking. This is the key. Hi, Jordan. This is the key to Spider and what he's parodying. We could get into tricky territory about like, is he making fun of Japanese mm-hmm. accents? But to me, what he's more making fun of is the way American voiceover uh, artists, <laughs> if you call them that, mm-hmm. dubbed over the Japanese dialogue to match their mouths. And because, and Chris Stangle says this too, but I'm summarizing it, because Japanese and English are such they have such different languages. Like they're not similar mm-hmm. in terms of how grammar is used. Yeah, You've got to fill all the spaces. And a good example of this is a, there's a Mystery Science Theater episode, one of my favorites called Prince of Space. Do you remember that one, Dave? No. I think we watched it together a long Maybe. time ago, but it's, it's, a, it's a like 60s Japanese movie about like a spaceman mm-hmm. and you know, and uh, there's like a villain and stuff. So in this little Mystery Science Theater clip, they make fun of the same thing that I believe John Linnell is making fun mm-hmm. of. Mickey, this might be dangerous. I'm not afraid if you want to go on home. Wait, those are two separate ideas. Yeah. I saw some smoke. It's time for lunch. Look at this tree. (laughs) I'm not afraid I'm wearing a tie. You go home. 
So the, the, what they're making... I get the joke. <laughs> yeah. What they're making fun of is because the little actor had to... Um, he said something in Japanese, right? Yeah. The voice, the American voice actor had to had to keep going with the mouth movements, even when it was like he's squeezing in all these words. Yeah. So what that does is lead to awkward phrases. Happens a lot when they uh, dub like anime and stuff that comes over here. Yes, exactly, exactly. Like even Miyazaki movies and stuff. And so like, here's a good example. Um, and, and I really think Spider is referencing it because you know the spider goes like, oh, Here's an example from Ultraman, which Mancow also mentioned and John Linnell affirmed in his way uh, that I thought was kind of funny. He's in trouble. Oh. Uh. Yeah, that's kind of what I mean. I think Linnell's making fun of that. Mm-hmm. I, I was trying to look into like, were some of these dubs by Japanese voice actors speaking English, but I but I actually found the, the credits for Ultraman. They have like websites that like name the people and they are American names. They're Amer- American actors. So I guess the thing is something me and Chris Stengel talked about is like, is Spider offensive by mm-hmm. today's terms? But I'm gonna. Well, kinda, isn't everything? <laughs> fair point. Um, but I'm I'm gonna kind of circumvent that and give it a little defense, which is that I think it's mostly making fun of how American voice actors mm-hmm. struggle to match the mouth movements of the Japanese actors. I don't. You know what I mean? But isn't it possible to do an accurate homage and not have any intent behind it? You know what I'm saying? Like, it's mostly just kind of putting it on the table as it is. I don't yes. know if they're saying, like, it's right or wrong. Well, I do think there's a... I think Linnell is, like, making fun of it. I mean, mm-hmm. I think Spider is supposed to be funny, right? Yeah. I don't think he's making fun of the culture, though. I think he's making fun of the practice. The practice, but also, like, the thing is, it's sort of like like Chris said, is, like, these are silly shows. Yeah. <laughs> these are children's shows, and they're yeah. very goofy-looking. They're people in, like, cardboard costumes, you know, and... And they're mm-hmm. they're 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 unique and they're fun, but like it's not like they're high art, you know. Like we're not talking mm-hmm. about like Kurosawa movies from, Japan. Mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Well, I don't know. I guess it's not up to us to decide that. It's up to a person of Japanese descent, right? Let's get one. We have one behind door number one. <laughs> <laughs> Let's bring him out. Is anybody offended by this? Email us at don't, don't let's start let's... podcast at gmail dot com and or Twitter at don't let's pod yeah. and uh bother Jordan about it. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of avenues to go down here because I was like, y- you could you could go with my defense, which is that he's making fun of how American actors mm-hmm. try to do the Japanese... They, they seem to sometimes vaguely be doing an accent mm-hmm. and sometimes not, you know what I mean? And it gets weird. Like, you get into weird territory with that. But then... um there is the thing, it's like, okay, well, let's say I'm wrong and let's say Linnell is just making fun of like the Japanese mm-hmm. accents in these movies, but it's like, I don't know, I, I guess you could, to me, the, the movies are such a singular thing that it's not just like, it's very specific a thing well, to make a fun of. it's style of doing a movie. Yes, because like even you watch old movies from America and they have a certain way of talking. Yeah, there's a syntax. Like we watch a lot of movies from the 30s and it's like, hey. Come over here, yeah, tuts. Yeah, exactly. Go fuck yourself. Yeah, people are always Fuck like, your mother. oh, that's swell. Yeah. Everything's swell. Not anymore. But in terms of like the lyrics and, and the things he's saying, there, there is a lot, there is a common thread in, in a lot of the Ultraman stuff I watch, which is that a monster attacks, Ultraman defends everyone and, and people kind of just yell things <laughs> like while the fight's happening, yeah. people just kind of sort of say yell things exposition. like <laughs> in Spider where it's like, oh, he's doing like, you know, he is our hero. It's going to get away. Oh, it's Ultraman. Ultraman's going to help us. Ultraman! <laughs>
That, that reminds me, like, we love you, Spider, right. right? And I have other clips, too, that really match up with the things Linnell and Flansburg, uh, which we'll learn, says in Spider. And also, in, in terms of Linnell or, or They Might Be Giants referencing these old, like, Japanese kids shows, this isn't the first time I, I wanted to mention that, like, we, in our episodes about then, the earlier years, yes. there's a lot of stuff in the, the kitten intro and right. in the critic intro that's taking music from Gigantor, which, you know, right. go back to those episodes because we, we get into Gigantor pretty deeply. Third best episode. Yeah, yeah. Know. Yeah, I was going to mention that too. They must have some kind of affinity for those uh, Japanese cartoons. Yeah, and a lot of the dubbing in Gigantor is, has a similar quality to the stuff we're talking about with, with Spider and the reference yeah, definitely. point. It must have been one of those things they watched as kids. Yeah, how cute. You imagine little... <laughs> it's adorable. I think they had a little accordion, a little guitar, little winter coats. The instruments like don't grow as the child grows. <laughs> the what? They don't. No, they'd be the Mine same. Si they'd be the same size. <laughs> Mine keep getting smaller for some reason. Go to the doctor. But what I want to know is why a spider, or why the name spider. You know what I'm saying? That's actually a really good question. How does that relate to like, you know, the kaiju? Well, I, I can tell you that there is a kaiju spider called Gumanga. <laughs> I'll show you a picture, Dave. What'd you call me? There he is. Ew. He's kind of cute. He has like he's, his eyes are crossed. <laughs> Ugh. Spiders really are disgusting. So there's an an episode of Ultra 7. So do you literally think you, you know, Linnell okay. was inspired by this style, this show, and then this specific character? So, okay, Ultra 7 is a, is an Ultraman spin-off and there is an episode Episode 18 of Ultra 7, he fights a giant spider called Gumanga. I don't think Linnell's literally <laughs> talking about Gumanga, but I like that there is <laughs> I like that hey, there is knows? an episode of Ultraman, of Ultra of an Ultraman spin-off with a giant spider. And I'll post that on our Twitter. <laughs> don't let's pod, because it's a funny picture. There's one quote from the book where they interview Linnell where they actually talk about going from statue got me high to spider. And I wanted to read that because I thought it was kind of interesting. So the interviewer says I think you and John put your records together really well by placing a funny song like Spider after the statue got me high. And he says, I think that contrast is another important element in what we're doing. Occasionally people ask us what our favorite song is, and that's one that really drives us crazy. It's very difficult to pull one song out and say that sums up everything when really an important part of what we're doing is coming up with contrasts. That's one of the values of having an album is that you can really say a lot of different things and they each are heightened by one another in a way. You can allow yourself to do something that's a little more intense than you'd want to have as your manifesto. But then if you contrast that with something else, it gives you freedom to do it. Hmm. I thought that was interesting, right? Yeah. Well, that's the whole idea of, you know, taking a ride on an album, which yeah. is kind of going away. It is going away. And yeah, I, I like that the Amon Giants albums are such crazy, crazy rides yeah. where you're just like going into all these different places, you know. Do you think they're sequencing their albums as carefully these days in, you know, this MP3 era? Or I has think that they gone are. Away? I, I, okay, they are for the real albums, but they're not for the compilation mm -hmm. stuff like Phone Power and yeah. My Murdered Remains, which in my opinion, this is a giant topic we'll get to one yeah, day. Yeah, I, I guess we'll get to this yeah. another time. But I think the actual albums, like I think I Like Fun has a great sequence. And yeah. it feels very worked out, um, right. for example. So yeah, I, I do think so. But I do think it is like there's less pressure to do that. Because especially when they do the dial-a-song thing where they just put one song a week and it exists in its own world. 
I mean, it's just hard to do that now in general because people can't sit down and listen to a goddamn album. <laughs> <laughs> well, they woke me up there. What the fuck is goobity goob goob gadoo? So I, I always heard the weird gibberish thing in the opening is gibbity gib gib gib. Gibbity gib gib gib. Right? I thought it was goobity goob goob gadoo. Yeah, and on the TMB wiki, it, it says coopity coop coop, which I'm like, wow, who the fuck is hearing? <laughs> no offense. I, it's like the the gold or blue dress thing. I guess it's <laughs> it's a thing where it sounds different to everybody. Yeah, you and me both but heard I do, a G sound. Yeah, I do not hear a coop at all. I hear gibbity gib gib gib. I'm glad we have this podcast. I think that I promise not to kill you uh, line. Yeah. The the delivery of that line is probably the most on the nose of the Japanese. Yeah, that's funny. Um, <laughs> the, the rest of the lines you could, I guess you could make the argument didn't necessarily have to come from Japanese TV shows. Yeah. But that definitely sounds like an affectation of a Japanese voice Chris or Dangle, an overdub voice. Chris Dangle said the same thing. He said, particularly, I promise not to kill you, really sounds like the, well, there you go. one of those, like, it's always like a military guy or something in these shows. He's, right. You know. Sounds like George Takei. It does sound like George Takei, actually. So let's listen to what Ed Douglas had to say about Spider. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Okay, well, let's talk about uh, Spider. <laughs> What's up with this song? What's up with Spider? <laughs> this is not only the, in the first batch of songs, but this is one of the first songs we were recording. <laughs> what? <laughs> you start with Spider. That's so and funny. Almost everything is sequenced, <laughs> and we were just sitting there, and like you know, Paul didn't didn't blink. He must have Paul must have known this, heard the songs beforehand, like the de- like the demos. But I was just like, what? The, what is this song? Is this, 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 yeah, this doesn't sound anything like head. what I was expecting. Yeah. <laughs> All the stuff was on the sequencer and the samples, mm-hmm. except for, I think there's there's two very obvious, you know, was one obvious Flans part and one obvious Linnell. Like, they do a line. Yeah. Like, like Flan, Flans does the must stop part. He says, my, right. it's funny because no, Flansburg has said stop. that for years and I've never... I've never heard it. I've always, it's never sounded like Flansburg to me, but they've, they've been, they have said that in, in interviews in the past. Yeah. But, it, but he did the must stop. But I remember that one distinctly because I feel like we spent like hours getting the right must stop. Yeah. Like just getting the one that he really liked it, that he thought fit in with the, the sampled, you know, Japanese uh, parts. Spider. We love your spider. Spider. Get rid of. Spider. Must stop. Spider. He is our hero. And then uh, the other one is Linnell's I Promise Not to Kill You. Oh, okay. Which was also done in the studio as an overdub, I believe. I don't think he... Like, he, he could have sampled himself and just put it in the sequence. But mm-hmm. I think he I think he did that... I don't know, I can't remember anymore, to be honest. Mm. But it was... It was Again, this is like... This is mostly that the, the, the sequencer... So this is a song where you're... It's just... They come in and it's like it's like 90% done or something right, like that. Right, they just have to do vocals. Yeah. Yeah, wow. Or, vo- or voices. Yeah. <laughs> Even Flans' part, that must stop part, I think they might have, must have had it, might have had a sample, and they realized they didn't like it. And so he decided right. to oh, try okay. to join in. So that's all the time we have for, for now. Uh, for Apollo 18, there's just so much to talk about with each song, each lyric, each moment, each kick kick drum hit, each bass note. That's right, Jordan. Each beautiful, beautiful moment in Apollo 18. We are Don't Let's Start, a podcast about They Might Be Giants. Thank you to Ed again for giving us info about the song Thanks, recording. Ed. And please email us at don'tletstartpodcast at gmail.com. Our Twitter is at don'tletspod. Please give us reviews on uh, on iTunes stuff. 
And if you want to support the show, you can do so at anchor.fm slash don't let start. That's our home base. You've got a few options there. So coming up, we've got Apollo 18 part three. We're going to do another bunch of songs and we've got more special guests a lot of surprises. It's crazy. Can it's, you handle it? I, I am can't handle really, it. really excited about the next episode and future episodes. They're all exciting. I'm excited to keep existing. So there's going to be one <laughs> factory showroom one that's going to suck. No, just kidding. <laughs> um, I was really concerned there. I was yeah. like, what? Why? Oh, no. What did I do? <laughs> so until next time, Dave, now you're looking kind of sad. I'd hate to see you leave. But this is my house. <laughs> My evil twin, bad weather friend, he always wants to start when I want to begin. It scares me so, like I scare myself, with that book of Nostradamus up upon my shelf. Playing hangman to the morning light. Doing donuts on the neighbor's lawn Then sleep all through the day Get up and start again I can hear some sirens somewhere But I don't know why Thank you very much. <laughs> I, yeah, I had a funny feeling about that. On the record, there's this wild guitar solo that starts there, and it sort of it washes over the audience in this in intense way. But since, since there was no guitar, we just got lost in the moment. You'll just have to use your imaginations for that uh, particular right. moment.